Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. I'm a 33-year-old Chicago-based childless millennial who is an entrepreneur, author, pop culture commentator, and a podcast host. Now podcasting is my main gig, which I did not see coming when I started this almost three years ago. But I'm grateful for the privilege of your company. Uh, This podcast is long form by design. It is tangential and long-winded and singularly hosted by me by design. And I know it's a format that takes some getting used to, but I've come to learn I'm the official podcast of like people training for marathons, of people like doing yard work, enduring some light manual labor, you know, going on a long road trip, watching, you know, paint dry, grass grow. If it's long and menial... I will invite myself to come along with you, and I am greatly appreciative of your company. Uh, sometimes I reintroduce myself. I never really know how, how many new people are here, and if I were new and I were you, I'd be pretty confused by uh, this person that's just going to launch into this topic, but, you know, we can't always plan the things we want to discuss, and I think what's been really cool for me is... Um, in being an independent podcaster and having the ability to be nimble with the timing that I put out episodes uh, and having control over the topics, I can kind of react to things that are, you know, happening in real time. Like last week, my uh, episode about that stemmed just from a really rude email I had gotten from a condescending male in the industry, or this week, which is stemming from a kind of unforeseen Instagram conversation I've been having with a lot of you that made me realize maybe there is a space for this after all. But I want to start by giving a disclaimer and even a trigger warning for some. I'm going to talk about a lot of different things in the sphere of marriage, of parenthood, of having kids, of pregnancy, of a bunch of things that outside of being married, I don't have firsthand experience in. And I don't really have a place to tell you how to feel about it. And honestly, if you are a parent and that is something that incenses you is when people have an opinion on something they haven't experienced, I would not listen to this. Equally, I would warn you that I might talk about parenthood and and pregnancy in a detached manner that a person who hasn't experienced it firsthand would just because I'm inherently objective uh, and I never want to be insensitive. And if you've experienced any level of difficulty or trauma or loss as it relates to having children, A, I'm so empathetic towards your situation. And I, I, my nightmare is being insensitive to people going through something so deeply personal um, and so hard to understand outside of the context of that situation that you already feel so isolated. And I certainly don't want to alienate you further. Um, so I just wanted to start by saying, like, first and foremost, know that while there's going to be a lot of lighthearted conversation, I want to tie in a lot of stuff about in pop culture about motherhood and feminism and whatever, and, you know, kind of keep it both light and heavy. Uh, I just don't want anybody listening to this episode that, that it has the potential to upset because I, I'm the, I'm not doing this in vain. I'm not doing this to make fun of people. I'm doing this from such an honest, vulnerable place that, like, I'm not even comfortable talking about this um, because... It, it it it's something that triggers a lot of people and infuriates a lot of people um when you have an opinion on something that women despite you know equally having to all navigate through this continuum that is motherhood or rather the decision making process 
that goes into it, the execution against it, and having kids looks different for everybody, and they don't need to be biological, obviously, to your retrospect from after you have them, wherever you fall on that spectrum, my argument is not to say, I'm right, you're wrong, I think this, you think that, to correct me, I'm not looking for resolve, I'm not looking for advice. I I, I have no agenda here other than to argue that women at any part of that process are allowed to have an opinion about their body, their life, their family, and their decisions. And while that opinion should never be used to criticize other people's decisions or judge them in any way, I just mean the mere existence of your perspective on things is valid in its own way and deserves to find a place to breathe and just like i need to avoid content that i find triggering <laughs> that i currently don't relate to the context of with parenting i think it's important for people that can't understand where i'm coming from to just instead of try to argue with me about how my fears aren't valid to just consider that I'm in a totally different phase and like this is my reality and my truth, you know? Motherhood is such a sacred thing to so many. Children are an incredible, incredible gift that I don't undermine for a second. Um, and to be clear, my dilemma is knowing I want kids, but I'm I'm really struggling with the means to that end right now. And I just want to be honest about it in case... Well, I know a lot of you are feeling this way, as you told me yesterday on Instagram. Um, so I just thought I'd kind of like stream of consciousness through this. I hope you know that um, this is not easy, not an easy episode for me to do because it really hits close to home. And it's a stuff that like I feel bad admitting, not because it's shameful, not because there's anything wrong with it. I'm just talking about this because I don't want you to feel bad about admitting it because I actually, the more I thought about it, I was like, it's ac- it's insanity that anybody would be made to feel like less of a woman for voicing concerns or anxieties or fears about a huge life transition. And I was yesterday on Instagram, I expressed this in some form of words. And this is that's kind of the start of this. Well, the start of this is a TikTok trend um, that I'll get into. The I mean, I've never had more DMs in my life. And so many of you were parents and uh, were so kind and and validating and reassuring and and didn't pass judgment and gave me such interesting insight that I I can't hoard to myself that you were people. I mean, over I want to say, like, honestly, over 500. I like I've never I was I was floored by the people that took the time to write out a paragraph or several to a stranger to make me feel less alone um but also to be able to share this wisdom on a broader platform and anonymously of course because if what i'm hearing is that these conversations aren't happening but they're what you need but you're so scared of being insensitive or offending somebody the beauty of this is it's just me and you and even though i'm talking to a lot of people individually i'm just talking to you and as uncomfortable as I am talking about my hesitations with this stuff, and it feels deeply personal to me, one of the biggest things that bothers me about the internet and about social media is the manufactured authenticity 
is the, ugh, I've been wanting, you know, I, I've struggled with something for years and I want to tell you about it, but it's so hard for me. Uh, drum roll, please. I have acne by proactive. This is spawn con. You're just like, oh my God, don't cry wolf about the things that hit close to home. It, it sours the experience of other women trying to genuinely help people by sharing. And when I think about these things, I'm like, but what am I doing? I, I'm the one that's not sharing for self-preservation, completely ignoring the entire point of vulnerability is not to open up in anticipation of a positive outcome. The definition of vulnerability is opening yourself up to harm, to attack, to judgment and, and doing it anyway for the sake of sharing. And I'm willing to incur that risk of pissing a lot of people off and saying a lot of the wrong things because a person that hasn't experienced something can't talk about it perfectly uh, if it makes you feel less alone. Bottom line, end of story. So I hope you'll give me the grace to speak imperfectly. I hope those who this won't serve won't listen. And for those of you that do, thank you for allowing me to a safe space to share. So the nexus of this conversation not only was me saying on Instagram, like, I'm terrified of having children. A lot of this reason I'm embarrassed to admit is because of the way mom culture is portrayed on social media, which I'm not allowed to have an opinion on because I don't get it. Uh, but at the same time, I'm on the receiving end of it and I do have an opinion and it does affect my worldview. And it's not about if I see value in it or think it should exist or and I don't even think it needs to be modified because there is value in content of people that can relate to you. That content is so important for women in the thick of it. But I also would hope women would understand why it's incredibly intimidating uh, to feel like you're signing up for something that really disrupts your life in a way that I don't know that all women are ready for. Um, historically, your concept of parenting is the research you do, the way you grew up, your reference group, your friends, your relatives. And yeah, media and culture play into that. But what I'm talking about now, that millennial, you know, young millennial moms, older millennial moms, whatever, wherever you fall, are experiencing, um, and I'm sure Gen X experienced a lot of this too, is like, you have all these sources of comparison in your immediate life and experience. But the media and culture piece in the context of scripted television and movies is very different from media and culture from the lens of, of influencers, of YouTubers of social media stars of any capacity or accessible celebrities, all of a sudden we're inundated with this parenting content, with the opinions and the mode of operation and the values and the beliefs of people who claim to be just like us. They're not famous for any one trade other than famous for being experts in the field of being a person. And there's almost this barrier to entry that's lowered in that sense where it makes us compare ourselves more directly to them because the communication is I am you, you are me. Let's be relatable. Let's talk about this. Let's be vulnerable. Let me let you into my life. And there's so many different ways people want to appear from aspirational to, you know, authentic and real to, you know, relatable in a healthy sense, relatable in a self-deprecating sense which I think honestly is where I fall because I cope with my issues with humor, but whatever, we can't win them all. Um, 
all the way to humor that's just like darkity dark dark uh, that I, it's not even funny you're just trying to express yourself in a way that i'm like oh wellness check but i think it's fair to say that uh you know gen x millennials we we are the ones on the front lines yet again of navigating slightly unfamiliar territory that straddles two generations where we grew up with traditional expectations and upbringings but we're now met with this lens into other people's lives that other generations rearing children did not have at this level. And regardless of any books I could read or people I could talk to in my immediate life, I would be lying if I said it did not impact me to see the way motherhood is spoken about and the channels I consume. Can I avoid them? Yeah. Do I try to when I need to? Sure. But there are topics that have a level of omnipresence, like parenting, like motherhood, like being a woman, that I can't avoid altogether. Okay, so I'm not in, I'm not in the, I don't think I'm in the dilemma of do I or don't I want children. Um, Where I'm at right now is just like, I, I am paralyzed with fear about moving forward because I don't think this is like hard to say, but I just genuinely don't think I will enjoy the process as much as other people. And maybe I will, and I'd love to be surprised. But I'm also 33, and I've also done a lot of self-evaluation and reflection and paid attention to my own mental health and know what my needs are to feel okay. Honestly, and please don't take this the wrong way, <laughs> But anxiety isn't rational, right? I, the way I see it, it's like I spent my whole life trying to like go to school and get good grades and be involved and do all this. Okay, go to college, you know, try to do as best I can, make friends, be social, blah, 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 get a job, you know, be successful in a field that's fulfilling, but well-paying, find a partner, blah, blah. It's like, you do all of these things that match this formula of what you're supposed to do in life and you work your ass off. And until, you know, and I'm grateful my parents were encouraged me to be so career focused and I was and always have been. And I've just, it's been such a focus for all these years and I've dumped so much time and energy and equity into it. And it's almost comical to me that the age where you're experiencing the most momentum and a meteoric rise in your career is inversely racing with the the decline of your, your alleged fertility a- and the intersection of me feeling like I can take on the world met with me feeling like I'm about to expire is really confusing. And the reason I just want to be able to air these concerns without people trying to solve them is because it's just, it seems like it's whining about the inevitable. I get how biology works. I get that women and men are built differently and serve different roles. And I get that our lifespans are longer and blah, blah, blah. Like, I get it. And I don't hold it against my husband that he can't do. Like, I'm not irrational. But I think I should be allowed to talk about how badly I'm relying on the passage of time to grant me the wisdom to make this decision for me and tell me when I'm ready, while simultaneously the passage of time has become my mortal enemy. 
And the very thing I need is the very thing working against me. And I have trouble reconciling those feelings. And I know that's just how it works, but it doesn't mean that I had a good grasp on it until I got to this age. And it doesn't mean I'm not allowed to have doubts, to have fears, to have dread, to, you know, go into overdrive, trying to set up my life in a certain way that tries to minimize the amount of change without it making me seem like I'm overly concerned with superficial things and being told like, on your deathbed, are you gonna care about how much you worked? And like, yeah, cause I worked really hard to have a job that gives me purpose and meaning. I don't dream of retiring. I love this. I, uh, why am I supposed to perceive work as something that's so meaningless and superficial by default and being made to feel like caring about it is so disproportionate and misguided relative to the other things in life. I care about my family and my friends so, so much, but I can care about all of it. I can still want to be able to take part in all of it. And I just, I don't, it's, it's hard enough wrestling these feelings inside. And if I could make sense of them, I would. And then on top of that, when I'm trying to defend them, I can't. And it makes the whole thing worse. I always think about ducks <laughs> because not only the metaphor of how a duck glides so elegantly and is so unassuming and has to appear so low effort, but is maniacally paddling under the surface in the same way that I feel like women are expected to work twice as hard and always be moving in overdrive yet are also expected to completely keep it together or held the highest standard behaviorally are not allowed to overreact. The expectation is what we can see, make it nice. What we can't see, better be good, better work hard, better prove yourself. And you, you spend all of your 20s so disjointed, trying to get all your ducks in a row. It takes forever to get on your feet with a career. It takes forever to find the right partner. It takes forever to feel like you accept yourself and to take care of your mental health and find a way to approach my complexities in a way that feels manageable. It takes forever to feel like you have money. I spent all of this time trying to get my ducks in a row in accordance with what society told me I needed to do as a woman to be taken seriously, but what I needed to be, you know, successful, only to now be expected with a smile on my face to do a cannonball into that row of ducks. And well, a huge part of me looks forward to the joy and the love and the incredible nature of, of having children. There's so so much so many important emotions that override those things but when you're not there yet and you can't really conceptualize having kids it's easy to over focus on those logistics and to look around you at at friends at social media at what you hear and what you're told and the daunting advice you're given and when you're told your relationship's never the same that your job's never the same You've never known love before. The hormones make you crazy. Your mental health is so off. You're so exhausted. You don't have time to shower. Brushing your teeth is self-care. 
you, you're told all these things, and I'm like, so I'm supposed to give zero fucks about these ducks. Despite my whole life being told that assembling them and getting my life together was what mattered. And now it's being held against me, or I'm being perceived as selfish if I'm saying those things matter to me. Isn't it just nice to listen to like a lighthearted, breezy pop culture podcast? <laughs> Sorry, this got intense quickly. I haven't even gotten to what I was, I was trying to talk about, like TikTok. Anyway, guys, I have a handful of ads this week. Bear with me. I appreciate you not denying me my livelihood. One of the first brands I want to talk about is um, has an incredible story that's very relevant to this discussion, and that brand is Ritual. So Kat Schneider, the CEO of Ritual, was four months pregnant when she noticed that all of the prenatal vitamins she was instructed to take con contained a lot of like synthetics and fillers that were the exact ingredients she was told to avoid. And so she kind of sought to find her own uh, multivitamin that was safe for her amidst pregnancy while also kind of wrestling the concern of like, do I tell investors, like, well, I'm trying to get funding, do I tell them that I'm pregnant? And one of the investors said, you have two choices. You can either grow a company or you can start a family, but you can't do both. And I have goosebumps, I, I have rage bumps. But instead of letting that get to her, she she used it as fuel. And um, Ritual is on a mission to, to reinvent the vitamin industry, essentially. And they've obsessively researched every nutrient in this women's multivitamin. And they've tested the formula. And it's not like science-backed, like loosely, but it's not a buzzword. They, they, it's the standard. They left out mystery additives, synthetic fillers, shady extras that can be found in a lot of traditional multivitamins, and they're committed to showing you their nutrients, where they come from, and why they chose it. I take two of a woman's multivitamin every day. There's also um, a prenatal. Mine's called Essential for Women. It's a gorgeous product that's literally transparent that kind of reflects their values of transparency because you can see what's inside, and it leaves your breath like minty fresh, and it doesn't hurt your stomach, which is perhaps my favorite part. I know I've told you guys about this before, but... Um, I, I, I just, I love the origin of this company and that it's obsessively researched. It's clinically backed. It's vegan certified, non-GMO, gluten-free, allergen-free, and the sources are out there for the world to see because they believe you deserve to know what you're putting in your body and why. And I think that's so incredibly important. Beyond the story, I love the multivitamin. I've been taking it for a long time now, and I just feel like daily changes like this can lead to to big results ultimately that's the goal right so you can start small and ritual is offering my listeners 10 percent off your first three months you can try it out satisfaction guaranteed if you go to ritual.com slash be there in five to start ritual today that's 10 percent off during your first three months at ritual.com r-i-t-u-a-l.com slash be there in five and like cat story so okay here's the thing you guys i know that my fears aren't all rational i know that literally everybody makes this work somehow I know it turns out fine. My entire point isn't to have somebody prove me wrong or tell me otherwise. It's just to create space for me to say these things out loud in case anybody else feels the same way. And on Instagram, when so many of you were like, I'm a parent and I felt the exact same way and told nobody how much I was dreading it or how much I hated pregnancy or blah, blah, blah. Like all the things people got such divine purpose and joy out of, I hated, but now my kids are, you know, whatever age. And like, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I've heard some people that be like, actually, I my anxiety went down when I was pregnant. I was so used to feeling chaotic that it wasn't that big of a change for me. I, I It was so interesting to hear women's anecdotes and not in a way that nobody was trying to um, 
like solve my problems or tell me how to feel, but they were very generous and open with sharing with me their thoughts. And that'll go through later in the episode. And um, it's just a funny thing where as I'm talking, I'm like, I feel like this sounds so whiny and unreasonable. And I'm sure you guys are talking back at me like, that's not true. That won't happen. But it's just my reality, like right now. And some days it's more intense than others. I'll probably listen back to this tomorrow and regret doing it. Um, But for today, I hope you'll just let me be vulnerable. And the things I'm about to say, the, the way I perceive mom life to be, I know it is a blown out of proportion view of it that I'm sure is the exception, not the rule. But here we try to talk about where pop culture and real life intersect. Um, And I do think that it impacts me when not only like people around me and my friends are so ready and willing, but people on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, with celebrities, like whatever it is, people convey that they're fulfilling this divine purpose and dream that they had. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't even, like, I'm already working from a deficit. I'm kind of like, I want children to prove me wrong. I have the lowest expectations and I feel horrible about it. And I hope to have a kid someday and look back and be like, yikes. But that's the thing, guys, is like, I think it's almost important to capture our befores and afters in order to learn from the lift that we gain from from hardship, from discomfort, from transitions. And as much as I fear that this honesty will come back to bite me, I also want to put it out there in the event later on, I'll be able to explain how I've changed or how I feel. And instead of the rose-colored retrospect so many people give you about how they felt, they'll know (laughs) the honest truth without context, without knowing where my life will go, how I feel in this moment. And hopefully one day I'll be able to tell you how that changed or how it managed my expectations or uh, wherever my life takes me, how this perspective has influenced my path. Um. But I think that it's become a little suffocating the older I get and the more ready everyone around me seems and the more everybody seems to just relish in the, you know, the new life you take on as a mom. And I'm equally as triggered by people that seem so fulfilled by the things that I'm not good at, nor do I enjoy. And I'm equally as triggered by the people that make it seem like their life is utter chaos and that they're at the point like... The amount of times people talk about how they take breaks in the shower, like you'll never sleep again. You'll never have sex again. Your relationship changes. You're exhausted at work. Your weekends are no longer yours. You know, your time is not your own. Your relationship becomes about taking shifts. You can never leave your house without with your partner unless you hire somebody or find somebody to watch said child. It's a, it's a lot. And I think it's fair to not take it lightly. And I hate when I feel like saying these things is bad instead of it being important to know yourself and to know what to expect and to set your intentions and, and to set yourself up for success, not against a, an impossible standard of blissful motherhood, but against what you know to be true for 
what's best for you. And I kind of laugh at myself because here's the thing. I On my bad days, I have a lot of dread. On my good days, I'm kind of like, okay, I when I'm home with my family or I'm around my uh, nephews and niece, I'm around Greg's nephew, when I'm around kids and family more, it actually really helps. But that's the thing is we made the decision to like live in the big city and we don't see family that much. And if I if we have kids here, I don't they're not close by. And it's kind of this weird thing where like I'm just not even around it enough to realistically picture myself in that situation. Um, And beyond that, it's kind of funny because then I'll go through periods of time where I feel like I've come a long way, which sounds odd considering the way I'm talking about this. But actually I've made a lot of strides, I, f- I feel like, just in terms of, <laughs> well, this isn't that funny, but like, you know, when you're feeling a little weird, you're like, oh, I'm pregnant or I have COVID, right? Obviously. So a few months ago, I got both tests done and said to my husband with like the, the pride of a student giving their parents a decent report card, <laughs> I was like, guess what? I took a pregnancy test and it's negative. But for the first time in my life, I did not think my life was going to end if it was positive. And I was kind of like, da 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 And he kind of looked at me like, excuse me? And I was like, oh, have I never said that before? Um, and he's so supportive. And honestly, like, he, he, he has been really, really patient. And he's a couple years older than me. And he has blindly supported a career that never had any proof of working out. He's been so, so patient and kind and understanding and it's not put pressure on me at all at the same time though i do i don't go into this level of detail because i don't know if it's as easy to understand from a male's perspective and it's not that i feel like i can't be honest it's that i don't want him to misunderstand what i'm saying because i do think this is normal to feel this way as a woman to a degree but it's not very popular to say And after so many of you guys told me you felt this way too, I felt a hell of a lot better. And I hope you feel better hearing me say it now. And it doesn't mean you'll be a bad parent. But I don't want my partner to misunderstand that I'm dreading my life with him or anything he's doing or that I hold it against him that he can't have the kid. I I don't want an ounce of him to feel like he is contributing to this. He would be the best dad. And this is part of my angst is like, I, (laughs) this sounds so it sounds bad, and I don't mean for this too, but I'm just being very honest. Sometimes I feel bad for him. I'm like, I'm not domestic. I'm not maternal. I'm not organized. You could have a wife that, like, has dinner waiting for you. You could have a wife that just, like, you know, doesn't cry a lot. You could have a wife that, like, is neat and orderly and wants kids and wants to raise them and just go to soccer games and will just find such bliss in the entire setup who will approach this with this level of simplicity I simply never will because of my wiring. And I won't discredit myself. I know I bring things to the table in other ways. (laughs) I hope. Uh, But I think that that's when I start to realize the depth of, of what I've internalized from the messages I see in society and the messages I see everywhere of what should give me value and worth as a woman and what my husband deserves as a man from me. And it makes me devalue and dismiss all of the things I have and glamorize and lament all of the things I don't that society tells me is right, 
is what is required on paper of a wife and mother. And I'm lucky to have a partner that doesn't make me feel inadequate, but I make myself feel inadequate plenty. And I say all this because sometimes we are always looking for root causes for why we feel the way we feel or some specific trauma or influence on our life or that somebody's causing us to feel a certain way. When I just don't think women even realize the standards we're held to, the internalized misogyny we deal with, the patriarchal society we live in. And no, I'm not always trying to rage and be this like top making these feminist arguments. But I think it's fair to explain that for people whose values and goals and self-worth doesn't closely align with the characteristics that are often projected onto women to need to uphold in order to be the shining example of a wife and mother, you kind of mull over this disconnect and it's more glaring to you because you get older and you wait to feel differently. You wait to fit into this mold and then you just don't. And then there comes a time where you have to honor who you are instead of try to always change who you are to fit into somebody else's standards of what you should be. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with fitting into those standards, but I'm telling you that if you don't, it's okay. Whatever you decide to do with that information, it's your call to make. I will defend to the end people that choose not to have children because I think they are tormented defending their decision by people who don't even realize how insensitive it is to suggest that their decision is a product of, of negligence or a lack of foresight into the knowing they'll regret it or uh, you know, a, a lack of understanding of what love really is that's so dismissive and rude and is suggesting that instead of a, the person looking you in the eye telling you they made a difficult life decision and respecting that they made that decision for good reason, you're automatically assuming that they're coming from a place of, a, of incompetence, a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding and projecting what you believe to be true onto them. And do you know how that those decisions are made lightly? That is not easy. But we need to honor each other's decisions and honor each other's dispositions without feeling like they compromise our choices. Beyond that, too, it's like for people that really do not connect with kids and just really don't see it for themselves and are really stand firm in their decision, why the hell would you try to convince somebody who doesn't want kids to have kids? It's even just from the premise of the risk of somebody really, really being unhappy in that circumstance and really not wanting to have kids. You know what I mean? Like, why do you want... That's that's so weird to me. Like, there's even... There's arguments for overpopulation. Like, there's a lot of great reasons to not have children. And that is... They're completely fine and acceptable. And, like, I just... It's astounding to me the way a lot of people will perceive that decision um, and see it as, like, stubborn or short-sighted or selfish when really... It's incredibly honorable to make a difficult decision confidently in the absence of that certainty. But sometimes we need to make choices on what something looks like or on what we think it'll be like or on how we feel toward it, even if we can't experience it. And that has to be okay. And you can't tell people they need to experience it in order to make a call because it's a little bit too permanent of a decision to be able to do that. That was a tangent. But I just want women to know, like, if you've chosen not to have children, that's awesome. And I support you. I think Grace Atwood talks about, like, rich aunt life or something. And it makes me laugh because I love being the fun aunt. My nephews and niece are, like, my they, they, I, I'm obsessed with them. They've changed my life. I probably wouldn't have ever thought about having kids until I met my first nephew and godson. And I was like, oh, this is great. And I, they're just such special little they're just these sweet little people that like are so important to my family and I love 
watching them get older and I miss them so desperately and like they 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 softened me in ways I never saw coming. But what if I didn't want to have my own kids? I'd, I'd still be a great aunt. I'd still be I'd still be great with them and I'd still love them to pieces and I'd probably have more money to spend on them. And that's awesome too. Your life will be equally as full of love and joy and happiness and meaning with or without your own children. With or without your own biological children. There's so many ways to have your life enriched by others, whether they're children or not, whether you decide to adopt or foster children, to be a great aunt, to be involved with your friends' kids' lives. We live in a world with so many choices for women that it's so incredible. And no matter what your process looks like, how you have a kid, how you decide not to have a kid, we don't live in this world where first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in a baby carriage. For me, it was kind of like, first comes love, then comes living together, because I don't know, I like a test drive, then comes marriage, and then I'm like, oh, this is great. And then comes like wanting to enjoy my marriage, and like traveling and caring about my own life and business and my husband being able to do the same in parallel. And then when we feel ready, maybe we'll have a baby in a baby carriage, but maybe also we'll be able to afford a single family carriage home instead of that. And we'll just be dinks and live the dream. Who cares? We're out of nursery rhymes and cliches. We have choices and we should exercise those choices and be confident in them. And it sounds bizarre to say out loud, but I think a lot of people relate to this. My anxiety in saying these things is like a supernatural one in terms of, I don't want to eat my words. I don't want to regret saying this. I don't want to put this out into the universe. You get the energy you give. Blah, blah, blah. There's so many reasons that we're so willing to, to uh, carefully sidestep our fears to suggest that the, the rug sweeping is the proper route in favor of this great universe, giving us what we deserve, <laughs> giving us back what we give out. And like, I don't know, you guys, I believe in a lot of spiritual metaphysical things, but also the secret came out in 2006. I don't know that we have to worry about putting out there what we're afraid of and it us manifesting that do i think you steer where you stare to a degree yeah and it's important not to harp but i actually think it's hugely misguided to think that things will go away if you don't talk about them i'm horrified that i'm gonna have a lot of trouble that something's gonna happen and then i'll have said all this and people can be like well you didn't even want them anyway you know what i mean these are the things i fear that if i seem ungrateful and not excited and I met with a difficult situation, this can and will be held against me. But that's just not how it works. And it's okay to have different feelings about something out of context. It's okay to have complicated thoughts. I think millennials are also uniquely straddling two eras where now your 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 traumas and your difficulty and your complexities are 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 welcome uh in terms of being more upfront about your stories and the things you've dealt with in your life and difficulty isn't perceived as somebody operating from a deficit rather it gives you depth it gives you dimension um but when i was growing up and really in i mean till like the the height of the mid 2010s i even feel like when aspiration shifted more to relatability i just feel like Everything was about making everything look perfect. Everything was about not letting people onto your struggle. I almost think that like there's something to when people seem like shells of a human, it's because they're trying so hard to keep their exterior intact. What I'm trying to approach life is like, if you're a shell, then I'm 
I am a cracked egg out back out in the out back in the compost pile, just trying to like decompose and turn into something more productive and useful. Because whatever this was isn't working. I don't mean that in like a morbid sense, but I mean like I, I'm less inclined to pretend there aren't cracks in my shells than I am to just like break it myself, show it for what it is, and try to make something better out of it. My grandmother had this compost pile in her backyard that was like magical to me. I don't know why. And I all, we would all after we made breakfast. We would take the eggs out back and put them on the compost pile. And she'd explain to me how they would like turn into fertilizer that she could use to help her plants grow. And I was like, that's so cool. And I, I don't know why. I always thought that was like a really fun thing to do. This is what's funny about kids. That's That was fun for me to go to the compost pile. I hope I can convince my kids that it's fun to do a little like, you know, leaf raking on a Sunday. You know what would be so fun? Playing the quiet game. I'm that type of mom. I'm the iPad mom. I know this about myself. Have you seen how Tugboat behaves? I will do anything to get my peace and quiet. I just need to get work done. And I am so bothered when people interrupt my focus because it's so damn hard for me to focus. And these are the things I need to work on. But these are also the things I don't need to de deny and pretend I will fundamentally change by the time I have kids. I'd rather go into it with a realistic perspective and not, be held that and not have that be held against me. And I think what's tricky is, and I know people mean well, but like sometimes the response is like, well, maybe you shouldn't have kids. And I'm like, but then I get really mad that somebody's suggesting that my, f that's what my feelings mean. You know what I mean? It's really confusing. And like, I don't know the right answer. I don't know where the balance is between being honest and realistic about what happens versus scaring the shit out of somebody and maybe are things you shouldn't say. I don't know the line between well-intentioned advice that the person that's actually helpful to the person versus projecting your feelings or judgment onto them. But I do know that if you listen to this episode and use any of the things I'm saying to tell me that I would be a bad mother and I shouldn't have kids, I will make your digital backside shine like the top of the Chrysler building. I will code a phishing scam to upend your life because I am allowed to have all the hesitations in the world but be the best fucking mom you've ever seen. Do I think that right now? No. Could it happen? Yes. And I don't need your two cents about what these fears and anxieties mean. I just need to be allowed the space and the time to process them in the way, the best way that I can to take care of myself and to be the best version of myself before I incur one of the biggest life transitions a woman could go through. And there's a term for how major this changes. It's called matrescence. And similar to adolescence, it is, it, it's a time in a woman's life that is marked with such immense change, physically, emotionally. And the difference is, adolescence is so ubiquitous the awkwardness is expected almost revered almost it's 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 fodder for comedy but a woman is supposed to go through a second period of immense change of the the the, the chemical the chemical the physical the mental the biological changes you endure that make you feel like you're out of your own mind and body unlike adolescence where we can be like oh i'm awkward that was a weird time this is awful no Matrescence, you're supposed to do it with a smile on your face, with a halo on your head, with gratitude in your heart. You, are ha you have to offset every single negative thing you feel with the fact that you're blessed. And while we live in a world that we need to keep these sensitivities and traumas and difficulties in mind of other people, we also can't light ourselves on fire to keep others warm and deny our thoughts and feelings in favor of keeping somebody else safe while putting ourselves at risk. Do we use discretion? Yes. Do we need to tell everyone our passing thoughts? No. But we also were allowed to exist as we are, whether it's popular or not, whether it's becoming or not. Such a theme of this podcast is like, 
I don't know why I swear in a past life I was like, so, I don't know what happened to me. But I feel so strongly about women feeling confident and feeling like they have choices and not making decisions because of the societal pressures that exist around them. I feel like so many women take on this role of martyr where they sacrifice themselves first and foremost, that, that they default to that. And that's, selflessness can be so beautiful and incredible and important. And I, I am the benefactor of so much incredible selflessness on behalf of, of my parents, my friends, my spouse. And I'm not saying it's all about us, but I'm saying we, I don't, I, at least I don't feel like I can be a good partner, a good mother, a good friend, a good daughter, a good podcaster, a good anything, unless I take care of myself first. And when I'm told that I'm the first thing to go when I have kids, it's terrifying to me because I'm not a person whose mental health and well-being can afford not caring about myself. And what I heard from a lot of moms who reached out is people who tell you that maybe that's their truth, but the reality is if you go into this knowing that and t taking care of yourself first and setting the intention that this is a partnership, that you are doing half of the work, or if you don't, you're a single mother, if, if you can find a way to offset some of the work in some way or take care of yourself and at least enter in to this life transition, making time for it instead of scrambling to try to squeeze it in after the fact when you've already gotten yourself into a habit. I don't know the logistics of how this works. And I know it's easier said than done. And I know there is a great deal of sacrifice. But I hate how the sacrifice is disproportionately pegged onto women. I hate how we feel like we have to be the ones to compromise our lives, our careers, and our well-being, so that's just part of it. Maybe part of that's true. But I also think that if we can talk about these fears, if we can, if moms can talk to prospective moms or, you know, maybe future moms in a way that's not intended to haze or scare or terrify, but to explore how to make it manageable, to make the other person not feel crazy. It's so important to know that me expressing these fears is not a criticism on your life choices. I don't know what I don't know, but you can't hold that against me and it doesn't make my feelings any less valid. And so many women reached out to me and made me feel so much better the other day about something I didn't even mean to talk about. And I kind of can't believe I didn't. I can't even believe I'm talking about now because this is so deeply personal to me. And I'm so worried about you misunderstanding what I'm trying to say. Honestly, I, I, I have the best in-laws on the planet. I'm worried if they listen to this, they'd be like, this was just crazy. Because like, who's gonna, I'm not going to launch into this Thanksgiving, even though I probably could and we'd have a great time. My husband has three sisters. Like I, I hit the jackpot and they're nice. I know not, not all sisters are created equal, but we have so much fun and I'm so grateful. Like I, I can't emphasize enough how it's almost pathetic how lucky I am. And I don't want other people wishing that they'd feel differently if they were in more desirable circumstances. Because I think while my wiring is the farthest thing from desirable, my environment is. And there's a greater disconnect between our environment and circumstances and our mental health than I think a lot of people think. We always say, when this happens, I'll feel this way. If this happens, I'll feel this way. This didn't happen, so therefore I reacted this way. And there's a, tr a level of truth to cause and effect. 
But just like if you're depressed in the United States and you go on a trip to Italy, you'll be depressed in Italy. I think if we don't take care of ourselves before we have kids, we're not going to take care of ourselves after. I don't see myself having less time and less energy and wanting to do the work then. So I'm just trying to do the work now. I'm trying to do some soul searching. I don't know where it'll net out. But I think the flip side of this is while I want to open this dialogue, and while so much of what the women on social media that I talked to the other day said to me that I wanted to share with you that I will later, the flip side of this is when I'm in conversations with friends that recently had kids, or I'm on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, the, and the mom humor is just like, I haven't showered, I haven't slept in years, you'll never have sex again. You'll never nap again. You'll never sleep again. You'll never enjoy a Saturday again. Your weekend's not yours. Your time's not yours. Oh, just you wait. Oh, you think life's stressful now? You've never known stress before. Oh, you, think, you think you're tired now? You think you're tired now? You think having a business was hard? Try birthing a child. Do you know what your body looks like? Do you know what your boobs look like? Do you know what your partnership looks like? You drop an A-bomb on your relationship and you become roommates and you just take shifts and it's never the same again. But it's okay because you love your child. And I'm like, why are you telling me this? Because I don't have the context of the child to offset the horrible things you just told me. And I'm like looking around for like a pledge mom. I'm like writing a narky email to the new member educator saying I fear we're at risk for hazing. Because I'm like, why, why, why do you think this is the appropriate thing to be telling a person who's a little on the fence about having kids? I think it comes from a good place of managing my expectations. And I think that, unfortunately, moms feel like they have to defend themselves sometimes because people like me might be appearing to trivialize or criticize their life decisions and their lifestyle as a mother when I'm not doing that at all. I just am having trouble imagining myself in that circumstance. And in an effort to defend that circumstance, I think the way it's portrayed is like such utter chaos that it almost works, we're working against each other and it makes me less interested and the person resent me more for not understanding why all that's important or necessary. And it just is a, it's a funny thing where I think creates some, a lot of tension. And I also know too that like, I'm not a good planner. I'm not good with timing. I'll drop in last minute. I had, Greg and I booked flights like two days before. We very much are kidless, you know, childless millennials that are almost obnoxiously, uh, you know, unaware of what level of scheduling organization and planning is re that is required if you have children. I feel so bad for how many times I've probably driven my brother and sister-in-law crazy, like dropping in and staying in their house and being up in their, in their grill. Because I, to me, I'm just staying with my family and I'm like, cool, fun. But meanwhile, there's like so much going on behind the scenes logistically and so much stress to just like stay afloat that you're not seeing, but you can't understand it because you're not in it. And I think that people... It's a funny thing where sometimes you want to act like nothing's wrong. Sometimes you can't keep it together. And I think both scenarios have their downsides. I want people to always be honest with me. But I think there is a hyperbolic thing that happens on social media that, you know, typically parody is, is as a morsel of the truth and distorts it, right? And when you re relate to the morsel, you can understand the, the relative difference of the distortion. But when you don't understand the morsel, you see the distortion as truth. And so when I'm watching TikToks, and don't laugh at me for overthinking. <laughs> it sounds so stupid when I say it out loud. 
but there are a few trends. Let's we just we need to walk through these. We need to walk through the hide packages from my husband of it all because this is why these small conversations and feelings and discussions are important. And even though I'm about to go into more of like what I find to be the comedic side of how hashtag mom life is portrayed on social media and how TikTok pranks rooted in gender roles and how the reinforcement of these tropes on social media is humorous and kind of comically feeds into my existing anxieties. But also, I want to raise a point that when somebody like me goes after these things that are just supposed to be jokes, I seem like such a curmudgeon. Like, I hate when people come at me with a narrow approach to something that's not that deep. I hate in the comments of memes when people are like, well, what about this? And it's this, this obsession with requiring everyone who's public facing to be collectively not collectively exhaustive in the things they cover. And that, you know, parody and comedy has no place if it could even be reasoned to remotely offend somebody. It's very hard to toe this line. And I really don't want to be nitpicky. But the reason I'll go in on jokes that pander to gender roles is not because I don't think there's I, I honestly like I have plenty of these in my marriage and I, I actually don't it's not I don't dislike gender roles. I dislike when people fall into them by default instead of actively choosing with their partner what they divide and conquer and allowing people to make the choice of doing what's best for them. Greg does the finances and bills and stuff, which is traditionally associated with the things a dude does. But it's not like he's controlling it so you can watch how I spend. He does it because it's like, I mean, he's in finance, one. Two, I'm not good at it and I hate it. And three, I like doing other things. I like listening to podcasts while I do the dishes. I don't mind straightening up the house. I'm not good at it, but I don't mind it because I can zone out. I, I mostly take care of the dog. I'm here all day, so I'll handle a lot of the grocery shopping, even though I don't really do it most of the time. But I do the best I can ordering on Instacart. I literally, if I get an Instacart order, it's like he comes home and I like, I'm asking for a ribbon. Meanwhile, I just have like a bushel of bruised peaches that the Instacart dude got off the loading dock because, again, I swear to God, they're incentivized to give you the worst produce and the exact opposite of what you asked for. But it's okay. God bless them. They kept me going through the pandemic. And I know it's not easy to expose yourself to a public place during a public health crisis. So I'm grateful. That said, I am not raging against gender roles. I know women and men have unique differences. I love to benefit from a lot of aspects, actually of gender roles, of chivalry. Um, a lot of these things are important to me. And my father is very gentlemanly and kind and treats my mother so sweetly and still does romantic things for her. And like, I loved growing up and seeing like a respectful dynamic in partnership. And I want to be able to do the same. And I don't always need to be bulldozing because I can do things myself. That's not how I feel at all. All I'm ever advocating for is choice and all I'm ever advocating for is not assuming somebody has to do something just because they can. And if it's impeding on your mental health and well-being, your partnership, your your abilities as a mother, to be to have the open-mindedness to modify those things and to approach things in non-traditional ways if it's what's best for your family. And the reason I will push back on jokes of this nature that we'll go through in a second is because of this concept I talked about called matrescence. Um because there's a confusing uh, binary approach to motherhood that I've read a lot about in terms of you either have PPD 
and are down out and distraught, or you should be breezing through the transition. But there's a middle ground where a lot of people are having a really hard time. And on the one hand, they're shamed for not feeling as breezy as some people. But on the other hand, it's not necessarily if you're having a tough time transitioning, you don't necessarily have PPD. But then when content is about your life being utter, utter chaos, having no time for yourself, and it's glorifying misery, people who do have PPD go undiagnosed because they overnormalize it. So there's so much weirdness that comes from the natural inclination to compare oneself to the media and culture and other people you see that is to no fault of anybody because it's, that's, that's our instinct. But what we can do is open up the dialogue to, to explain this nuance, to give terms to the things women experience so that you're not left in a situation too scared to say how you feel because you're worried about how it'll make you look. So you just kind of stew in your own isolation, self-diagnosing yourself with what you see relative to what other people are presenting their experience as, even though it's not their reality. And Jesse Bernhardt, who was on the podcast, not only is she sent me these articles about matrescence that like blew my mind. She also has taught me a lot about the experiences of black women in the healthcare system and how scared she was going into having her first child. She's she told me all about doulas. She explained to me like all these nuances that I don't see as a white woman. Um, and the trivialization of pain that happens sometimes uh, when black women are trying to, you know, have access to the same medication and healthcare and pain maintenance that other women have. These are things I was blind to. And it's these are important nuances to consider as well. Anyways, I'm so grateful for her because she's just really openly talked to me a lot about motherhood and um, what her experience was and in a way that's not like trying to spook me, but has been really transparent and honestly I've, I I'm grateful for these friendships and these conversations I can have that are just realistic and they're not about pinning our decisions against each other but rather helping one another um and she sent me these articles about matrescence that like really blew my mind and I want to read from you a little bit of it to give you context before I launch into some of these funny trends to tell you why I think it's important to discuss and to tell you why it's maybe not always as innocuous as it seems and even though I can take a joke I do see the broader implications on women. And yesterday we had a thread in our Facebook group about, like, we do a wellness check once a month, how everyone was doing. People are freaking drowning. Drowning. And not in the charming Backstreet Boys way. God, I love that song. And I want there to be jokes about it. I want people to laugh about it. I want there to exist a humor in this sector to commiserate. Um, but I think that reading an academic perspective on this was very enlightening and if i were a, a new mom it's something i would want to hear about and even though i don't have any personal context for this i figured i'd, I'd tell you about it anyway um and then i promise we'll lighten up this conversation and i'll get into people's advice this episode is brought to you by one of my favorite skillshare i mean guys i i, I recently took up the piano don't know if you heard i'm dabbling back and getting to learn music and uh Skillshare, no matter the season, has, has yet to become irrelevant in my life. It's an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. There's so many classes I've taken uh, that have taught me things so much faster than the million browser tabs I could open to try to teach myself something by experts. And they, I mean, their classes, they have everything. Like, even with 
uh, playing keyboard, it plugs into my computer and I technically can like mix songs and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know how to do it. And I feel ridiculous. But then you go to the music section and teaches, there's classes about how to mix and master songs. There's classes that teach you, uh, I mean, from like today until soundcheck, how to DJ live. And like I did just watch the Paris Hilton documentary and it does seem lucrative. Do people need a DJ that only plays Taylor Swift songs? I do not know. But if I wanted to learn, I could do it on Skillshare. I I predominantly use it for different like fun lifestyle classes from like home decor, style your space, uh, uh, interior design basics. I was even watching one about the perfect grilled cheese or happy house plants. Skillshare shares skills with me <laughs> that I didn't know I wanted or needed. <laughs> There's also so many like practical things like graphic design, user design, you know, web development, freelancing. Whether you want to sar- sharpen your saw in a more meaningful way or take up a lighthearted hobby, it's a really good time, and I highly suggest you give it a try. It's compared to like in-person classes and pricey workshops. It's an annual subscription is less than ten dollars a month, and if you want to explore your creativity at Skillshare.com, go to Skillshare.com/slash/btif. And the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare Premium Membership. Receive free access to thousands of classes for a limited time. Be one of the first 1,000 people to sign up at Skillshare.com slash BTIF. That is a new code, Skillshare.com slash BTIF. Since I just poured my heart out too, can I just do another Advil fast? Thank you. (laughs) In the spirit of transparency, in the spirit of being candid, um, the next sponsor is Candid. Uh, I am on a journey to try to straighten my top teeth. And uh, what's funny about this ad copy is it talks about the things that we'd love to do for ourselves but haven't done for whatever reason. And I'm like, wow, there's a laundry list of things I can think of, one of them being my top teeth. Um, I've always wanted straighter teeth, and I had so much orthodontia and a hell of a time with retainers, and uh, this is allowing me to not put it off. Uh, They are clear liners that are comfortable, removable, and practically invisible, so you can transform your smile without anyone noticing. Your treatment is prescribed and monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement and done from the convenience and comfort of your own home. They only work with orthodontists, never general dentists, um, and your supervising orthodontist will be there with you every step of the way. So this includes remote moder- monitoring, with the same orthodontist the whole time, um, and so you can always check in and know how you're doing, and the average treatment is about six months. So you'll start seeing results way before then, and it costs thousands less than braces. So if you want to start straightening your teeth today, right now, all my listeners can save $75 on Candid Starter Kit. Go to candidco.com slash be there in five and use code be there in five. That's candidco.com slash be there in five code be there in five. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. Candidco.com slash be there in five. What's the code? Say it with me. Be there in five. Okay, so this is from a New York Times article called The Birth of a Mother. And also a Medium article, a couple of my read that are about the same topic by Alexander Sachs, MD. You know, I will work cited. I will put it in my episode notes. I'm trying to be better about that. So I'll just, I'm just going to read some quotes to you that I thought were enlightening. Um, first of all was this, this one quote that she said, The lived experiences of women go unspoken until the zeitgeist is ready to thunder. And she said this in context of the Me Too movement. I thought, shit. That is beautiful and so accurate. The lived experiences of women go unspoken until the zeitgeist is ready to thunder. And she talks about the importance of the political and therapeutic power of language. And that when Me Too was given a name, it it empowered women. Because 
or this thing that you don't really know if people are dealing with that is so uncomfortable to talk about due to power dynamics, all of a sudden it has it has a, a name and an identity and it feels okay to identify with it. And she talks about if you can name it, maybe you can tame it. And talks about that everyone knows adolescence is an awkward phase, but during matrescence, people expect you to be happy while you're losing control over the way you look and feel. The process of becoming a mother, anthropologists call matrescence, has been largely unexplored in the medical community. Instead of focusing on the woman's identity transition, more research is focused on how the baby turns out. But a woman's story, in addition to how her psychology impacts her parenting, is important to examine too. Of course, this transition is also significant for fathers and partners, but women who go through the hormonal changes of pregnancy may have a specific neurological experience. Knowing the challenges of matrescence will normalize and validate new mothers and how they may be feeling. Knowing the causes of distress and feeling comfortable talking about them with others is critical to growing into a well-adjusted mother. It will help new mothers and those around them acknowledge that while postpartum depression is an extreme manifestation of the transition to motherhood, even those who do not experience it are undergoing transformation. Consider the Instagram image of the pregnant and postpartum supermom, a nurturing, organized, sexy, but modest multitasker who glows during a prenatal yoga and seems unfazed by the challenges of leaking breasts, dirty laundry, and sleep training. This woman is a fiction. She's an unrealistic example of perfection that makes other women feel inadequate when they pursue, pursue and can't achieve that impossible standard. Mothers will feel guilty because they're always making challenging and sometimes impossible choices. At times, they are required to put their own needs over theirs of their child. Most women don't talk about feeling ashamed because it's usually about something that they don't want anyone else to know. Shame is the feeling that there is something wrong with me. That This is often the result of comparing yourself to unrealistic, unattainable standards. Too many women are ashamed to speak openly about their complicated experiences for fear of being judged. This type of social isolation may even trigger postpartum depression. When women find themselves feeling lost somewhere between who they were before motherhood and who they think they should be now, many worried that this is something terribly wrong when the, in fact this discomfort is absolutely common. But here's the kind of other side of the argument and how I'm tying this back to content and trying to illustrate there's no right way to approach this other than to be real, really aware of how you feel of your emotions and being able to talk about and normalize those emotions to, to validate how you're feeling because it's how you're feeling, not determine the validity of it relative to how another mother's feeling, right? And it's just why it's so important to keep all of this nuance in mind and to take things with a grain of salt that I think in our, you know, darker moments, are, it's tough to, to have that perspective. But I was reading this really interesting Vice article that talks about um, matrescence and in, the, in, the, in terms of the major shortfalls of mom culture on Instagram and how this concept of being like perfectly imperfect is still implying a state of perfection. And I thought this was so fascinating because it says, as new moms were thrust into a massive shift in identity and responsibility, naturally we look for solidarity and reassurance online and on social media. But in our current insta-fame obsessed society, moms are so caught up in their perfectly imperfect rhetoric and images that they're inadvertently alienating the very people that they think they're connecting with. These perfectly imperfect moms aren't helping women through their time of matrescence. In fact, they may be more deleterious in, than the moms who peddle perfection. Perfectly imperfect content is a way to commiserate with women on a superficial level without revealing any wounds that are deeper than a paper cut. In the, in the context of like mom wine culture of these TikToks I see where like literally this, there's a baby screaming bloody murder in a way that makes me want to stick pencils in my ears. And the mom is just in like recording the background of the screaming and pouring herself a cup of vodka. And I'm like, Jesus, 
this is this does not look great. This is this is not what I want for my life. But if it helps other moms, that's great. But like, is it? I don't know. Um, it says that this type of con content can lead to more feelings of isolation and to deter new moms from seeking help from a professional when they need it the most. In an effort to validate just how hard it is to be a mom under normal circumstances, social media may be minimizing the experience of very real pathologies such as postpartum depression and or anxiety. As a result of being bombarded with information, new moms experiencing PPD or PPA may be less likely to seek help as, a social media, as social media has inadvertently normalized atypical responses to stressors or emotional states that require clinical interve intervention. The key to breaking down superficial barriers and impossible expectations for ourselves is by opening the lines of communication and creating safe spaces for women to ask for help if they need it. So while I just presented kind of two opposing arguments that are largely inconclusive, they, they actually did come to the same conclusion. Normalizing lines of communication, being in touch with your feelings, and not using social media as a barometer for how you should be feeling, whether you, it's, you know, breezy and uh, glowing or it's in utter distress, it's good to use that lightly to commiserate or to see good examples of people that aren't having trouble. It's a funny thing where moms, I think people who are in the thick of it are so disgusted by moms painting this really simplistic, breezy picture. But I am so relieved by people that do that because I'm haunted by the realistic depictions of motherhood, because out of context, I'm not ready for it. And I project that scenario into my life now without the context of the love I have for a child. And it's just something I don't want to sign up for. And it terrifies me. And I think that this is just an interesting thing that while people shouldn't change what they're doing and our job is to share our lives and to you know, portray them as accurately as we can for the audience we want to serve. And we can't be collectively exhaustive, nor can we consider the nuances of every audience and the content we create because it is targeted. And people outside our target can't tell us how, what to do. And I'm not telling moms how they should share their content. I'm validating that people outside of that target who cannot get away from the omnipresence of women-focused and motherhood-focused content, I couldn't avoid it if I tried. I'm, I'm validating the feelings for those of us that aren't in that situation yet and what this looks like to us and how it makes us feel. And for moms that are in the thick of it, I hope you know there's very valid terms and, and studies and research and advocates for the very thing you're going through. And a lot you can read about it that normalizes the complexity of what you're navigating through, that normalizes this word we love in 2020, which is unprecedented, which is a new normal. I, don't we all long for certain times? I'm sure mothers similarly long for certain times, but you can't react perfectly to something you've never experienced before. And and comparing that sort of transition with an immense one as, you know, a, an adolescence is, I don't know, I found it to be really enlightening and helpful because it showcases a transition happening that's so beyond your control that you feel like you should be entirely in control of. And that's just not true. So instead of trying to operate on this binary or to be more like, you know, the mom that can't get it together or the mom that, you know, seems to be doing everything right, acknowledge that there's going to be a lot of things you love and a lot of things you hate, and that's okay. You can mourn the loss of your previous life while adjusting to your new one the best you can, and that's okay. And when things start to feel a little too tough, if, you know, even if you're seeing somebody telling you on social media, like, this is awful and I'm here with you. That's great. 
but they're not actually here with you. And it's important to consult and to check in with a professional, especially I'd argue if you're a person that has trouble with mental health. And I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life. I'm just a person who has experienced a great deal of, of uh, personal growth and satisfaction from understanding that I don't have control over my thoughts and feelings and that I can't change who I am, but I can find tools to work through it. And um, I just don't want anybody to feel alone or isolated. And uh, I, I think that, you know, postpartum depression probably doesn't look like what it looks like on social media or in the movies or TV. Uh, but similarly, you don't need to be having the time of your life, even if everybody tells you you are. And just be aware of the nuance. Talk to people around you about it and make sure they give you all the slack in the world. I think it's a reminder for me to remember what my friends are going through who just had children. Remember what, you know, like people that I work with are going through that I'm needing things from. And all the while I want to be cut some slack to think that is really effing scary. And I'll advocate for the importance of being aware of that and knowing yourself going into it. But I'm allowed to be intimidated by it and delay it and avoid it and figure out for myself when I think that's right for me and also complain out loud about how awful it is that I can't know if this is even a possibility for me. So I'm agonizing over something I might desperately want in, in, like tomorrow. I don't know. It's very confusing and you risk looking bad. And I'm very, <laughs> risking looking very bad right now and cursing myself. And I just, I don't know. I hope I don't regret this. Um, I just, I don't know, you guys. It's funny because this term is probably common knowledge, but as a person that researches and reads and like feels pretty aware of stuff, I can't believe it that until two days ago when Jesse sent this to me, I didn't know that there was a term for the transition I was fearing. I didn't know that actually what I was expecting to happen was like kind of accurate and everybody told me I was overthinking it. But like, no, that's kind of what happens is your life completely changes. And it's okay to say that up front. And it's okay for new moms to be like, yeah, it does. You're, and so many of you were like, yeah, you're right. That will happen. It's worth it. But don't let anybody tell you that it's not going to be hard. For some people, it's harder than others. And given that I think of my mind, like I don't even, I don't even deal with anything severe. Um, like I, you know, I have a melancholic tendency in my brain. I feel low easily. It's hard to regulate my moods. I've had depression on and off throughout life. I'm an anxious person, but not in a crippling way by any stretch. Um, I'm just a person that probably talks about mental health a lot because I think that there's a lot of freedom to be found in graduating from that's just the way I am to there's a name for this, there's a reason for this, there's a way to work around this, and there's a way to optimize the hand you're dealt. And uh, I think of my brain as like a game of Red Rover. And there's just like a bunch of me's like holding hands tepidly that like don't want to be playing, you know, blacktop games. And um, so we're like holding hands and like trying to, you know, make as strong of a guard as possible. And then it's like Red Rover, Red Rover, uh, send self-loathing right over. And depending on the day, depending on how strong the hands are being held with one another or we're keeping it together, depending on the force and context at which the self-loathing tries to break through, it either does or it doesn't. And it's not static and it changes every day. And it's not always self-loathing. It could be imposter syndrome. You're not good enough. 
uh, you're going to be a bad mom, you're bad at your job, you're going nowhere. We all have these thoughts. And I think some people's Red Rover team is a little bit better at keeping them out than others. And for me, it's very day-to-day, minute-to-minute. And when I, when I t- tell somebody that I feel really scared of having kids and they think it's because I want to go to Target and get lattes and don't want to be on my own time and like I'm waiting for too long and I'm risking so much and I seem selfish and blah, blah, blah. What they're not seeing is that for some people, it feels like a full-time job to keep it together, to take care of your own mental state. It feels like a full-time job for me to be in the mood and to have the energy and to be in the right headspace to even be able to perform at a job that most people think is so incredibly easy. And it is, and I'm lucky. And I'm not saying I work hard uh, in terms of my work being physically hard, but I do work hard at it. And when that was something Merritt Beck told me that like really changed my perspective on things. Because she's, she's like so aware, but being a blogger is not hard work, but I work really hard at it. And that you can't take away. And I'm like, you're so right. I know podcasts aren't saving the world, but I... I like to think I'm here for a reason. I could make a difference. And I, I don't want to be a person that finds no meaning in my work and just assumes I have to grind so I can finally get to enjoying my life. I want to enjoy my life through my work. And that's a luxury in and of itself. And I realize that and an immense privilege. Anyway, can I just say, first of all, if anything about this episode is helpful or resonating with you or maybe would with a woman, literally I'm bearing my soul and it's giving me a lot of anxiety. But in the event it helps people or would speak to somebody that's like all I really care about. And it's less of an effort to like grow my podcast. This isn't really the topic I'd choose to like have a blow up bonanza of of new subscribers. (laughs) But um, if I don't know, if you want to share with a friend or on your story, I would love if other women could identify with this, though, while I'm saying it, I don't even know when if episodes are going to work or be effective. And it's one of those things where it's like, do I want people to tell me how to like, parent or live my life like no but I would love your feedback in terms of what you think about talking through these types of topics because while I have a pop culture through line I also focus on lifestyle aspects of millennial women and you know as I continue on on my life journey wherever it goes if you want to talk through these things please please let me know um but yeah, I didn't even, <laughs> the, so the, the funny thing is, is that the nexus of this conversation is, is a product of something I hate so much that is ironically the, from the category that I largely had a hand in creating. <laughs> and I'm not saying I invented doormats, but in 2014, doormats said welcome and they said like bless this nest sometimes, um, or they had your name and initials on it. It was really an uninspired category that was pretty stale. And I'm, and there was a lot of us in the that came around the, the this time. But I know this because of how many conversations I had with manufacturers, supply chains, quad doormat makers, whatever. When I was trying to get people to put words on a doormat, turn them upside down, and have them say, "Turn off your straightener, turn off your curling iron, you look great today, don't forget your lunch," whatever it was. When I was trying to invent remind doormats, it was made abundantly clear to me that doormats, as a category. And at their, the scale that Flora needs to be at, weren't really well equipped for the type of skew mixture and lettering that I was seeking. And um, now doormats, like a cheeky doormat is is more ubiquitous than a fiddly fig in an influencer's home. I walk up and down high hallways of apartment buildings seeing shit I designed that I didn't get paid for. I, I, I It's fine. It's a big reason I had to leave the industry because... It's really hard to maintain uh, proprietary uh, assets you have. It's hard to enforce. 
Um, I can send all the cease and desist I want in the world, but I'm not going to litigate. The, it's pretty transparent when you look at the size and scale of somebody's business if, if they have the ability to take you to court. And I didn't. Um, am I going? Am I working on a licensing situation or another outsourcing situation where I can include mats as a broader part of merch? Like, yes, absolutely. I'm not done with them, but I was done of having my income rely on them and to uh, it, it ate at my soul having to police this and having no control over people profiting off of something I built. And now I'm okay with it. There's some categories are inherently hard to defend and you can maintain your business by fiercely maintaining the quality, the clientele, the marketing, the brand. Like, absolutely. There's a way around it. I didn't have the drive to do that in flooring and I needed to do something else. Um, but that said, this it's so popular right now to have this doormat that says, please hide packages from husband. And it makes my blood boil. <laughs> Guys, it's, it's not easy being breezy. Um, <laughs> anyways, last ad. Thank you for your patience. Uh, I'm so excited because Liquid IV, who's one of my favorite advertisers that I've worked with for a long time, who's been so good to me. They have a new product and I want to tell you about it because I live off of their hydration multiplier that turns one bottle of water into three and like is amazing for hangovers, just general daily hydration and nutrients. But they actually have something now called Liquid IV Plus Immune Support. It's a cutting edge blend of vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc and Wellmune in a convenient single serve packet. Vitamin C protects your body and supports good health. Vitamin D facilitates immune system function and improves daily defense. Then zinc, the most abundant trace mineral in your body, supports your immune cell health and function. And Wellmune is a proprietary blend that's a naturally sourced beta glucan that's pr proven to help strengthen your immune system. And each packet is bursting with fresh, natural tangerine flavor. And it tastes so good. Like, it really does. And I don't mean uh, there, there's some other products that are like powder that like don't taste very good. This one is good. And I promise. And I'm psyched about it. And I just always like to remind you guys, they've donated over five million servings of product to all over the world, especially amidst the COVID-19 crisis to first responders, hospitals, etc., which... I just think is great, and it's I'd love to support a socially conscious company, and I want you guys to know you are too. So you'll get all the same benefits you love from the hydration multiplier plus extra immune support, which going into the deep, dark depths of winter in Chicago is certainly necessary for me. So actually, I have a really, like, really good deal. This is one of the things that the people I know actually benefit from and actively use because everybody I know I've gotten into Liquid IV. So if you want to try Liquid IV's new hydration multiplier plus immune support, it's available at Walmart or you can order it online and get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code there and 5 at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code there and 5 at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com promo code in 5 Okay, that's it for ads. Uh, let's see. An hour 20-ish. This is a long podcast. I hope you know. I'm not trying to waste your time. I just try to pack as much in as I can in case anybody still wants to hang on the line. But can I just say that I, <laughs> I somehow, I, you know, the TikTok algorithm, it's, it's, a, it's a thrill. You, you never know where, where you're going to find yourself on a given day. And I recently stumbled upon Boy Meets World TikTok. I didn't watch Girl Meets World. I'm not really that like a diehard of a fan, but I found myself on Eric Matthews TikTok. And I thought, you know what? There were some shows that Good for them. They, they really uh, played up the ditzy male trope. Eric Matthews is a real dum-dum, and I'm here for it. And I, th they, I think about characters like Topanga that were trailblazing 90s feminists. She was the, you know, uh, sustainability, peace and harmony queen of John Adams High. Uh, th don't let the crimp tear fool you. Her, her viewpoint on the world was far from coarse. She really, uh, you know, she had hippie parents and she was always arguing for 
women's rights and by women i mean preteens rights and then they definitely shed her of that kind of stereotypical character as she got older and i've never seen girl meets world but i appreciated her for what she was she reminded me of a I, I, we stand an earthy queen. I, I like a Don Schaefer from Babysitters Club. You know what I mean? Um, the other feminist character I was kind of thinking about recently, and I think a lot of different places have talked about this, but I never really put a lot of thought into it. Was how incredibly like r on the right side of history Jesse Spano was, but that the way she was portrayed on the show made her character look undesirable. So she talked me out of being a feminist while also being a good example of one. And it's interesting to look back on when you think of Saved by the Bell, because like we, well, you know, Taylor's old as time. What do we focus on Je about Jesse Spano? Do we remember her saying, well, if a man is, a, it, you know, if, if, if he's a real man, he won't be intimidated by a woman who knows what she wants. Do we remember her fighting against A.C. Slater when he would call her chick and babe and mama? Do we remember her uh, fighting for the women's movement? Yeah, the way Slater responded to, have you heard of the women's movement? He said, yeah, move yourself into the kitchen and make me a sandwich or something. No joke. Uh, he, when they would talk about, she'd tell him to split the household chores and he'd be like, cool, you cook and I'll eat. And then the laugh track goes off. And it's fine. It's the 90s. But isn't it funny to think of how hard she was trying to spread this messaging? And we were like, oh, my God, I, I was horrified of becoming a Jesse Spano when I could be a Kelly Kapowski or a Lisa Turtle. I wanted to be easy breezy. I wanted to go to the mall. I wanted to talk about fashion. I wanted a hot guy to sneak up to my window at night. And even though Zach did do that, which is a little predatory in retro, uh, to help Jesse amidst her panic attack. For caffeine pills that I'd argue, if you're familiar with nootropics, are far from threatening. Um, I want to remember Jesse for what she tried to do for feminism. And I want to personally apologize to her for thinking her character was a stick in the mud, a wet blanket, a wet blanket scarf, if you will, when really Kelly Kapowski was the problem. <laughs> but what am I to do as a Katie Kennedy when there's a Kelly Kapowski and I there's also a Kelly Kennedy? We worshipped her. We, were, we thought she was fresh as hell. We just wanted to be a member of the Sundays. Put your mind to it. Go for it. Get down and break a sweat. Rock and roll. Fo you ain't see nothing yet. I wanted a thong leotard and biker shorts on a mini trampoline. I wanted to be part of the Zack Attacks. I wanted to work at the Malibu Sands Country Club and tell that shrill wench Stacey Carosi who's boss. Because <laughs> she was actually pretty bossy. And she's another example of somebody who was firm and knew what she wanted but was presented as undesirable. It's all so crazy, you guys. Also... I love Tori. Tori was kind of a badass. She wore leather. In the 90s, I thought if you wore leather, you were somebody's evil twin, or you most certainly were about to convince the main characters to get into some sort of trouble. And like we talked about in the last episode in terms of how biases are embedded into the human psyche from a survival standpoint, uh, and how evolution has like, taught us uh, to make snap judgments about groups of people almost is a protective measure. And while they're correctable and they're mutable, stereotypes are real. Doing Having a career in market research, it's literally the business of stereotyping. It's finding birds of a feather to group similar behaviors to find the highest likelihood of where they are consuming media so you can reach them with your product directed toward them. <clears throat> and... I, I don't know. It's like, I think a lot of stereotypes are funny. I love thinking back on these things like with the 90s and stuff. I, I'm I'm really not a stickler. Uh, but speaking of the babe of it all, Jesse Spano not liking being called babe. Sometimes I'm like, 
I should. I just think we should all change our names to Babe. It's just it's a TikTok and an Instagram and Facebook videos are just like Babe, 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 Hey Babe, 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 Babe. It's like geez, like I have Greg and I have nicknames too. I don't actually r- I rarely call him by his name and vice versa, and it's cute and it's whatever. I'm, I won't get into it on here, um, but the Babe of it all is so comically universal anymore um one time in a garden it was somebody said in like a daily mail article they heard william of prince william uh call kate middleton babe and i and i melted like you know i I always refer to this when alex mack would get embarrassed and she'd melt into that radioactive capri sun silver puddle and slide through the vents i was laughing at myself because i'm like i am utterly swooning over the most common behavior because that's what we do when men do the bare minimum and I think I'm extra on fire because of Chris Watts and I watched American Murder. I was on Kate Casey's podcast if you want to hear what I thought about it. Oh man. People just wanted him. All they all they were doing is trying to be like he's such a great dad. You would have never know. He's such a great father. He had pictures of kids in his wallet. And I'm like that's the very least he should be doing. You should be playing with your kids. You should love your kids. Being a great the things we require of men to be great fathers is hilarious relative to what we require of women. And just as I was like, Prince William, you were a king for calling your wife, babe. That is so sweet. Your relationship is perfect. Well, it's funny because he literally will be a king. Uh, We cannot commend men for doing the very least. As my friend Lindsay calls it when she saw this TikTok video, I will not stand for metaphorical table scraps and act grateful and bow at your feet. And nor should you. And I know I'm taking this video too seriously, but I really think this is weird. Almost a Lucy and Ricky banter. It's like a brand of comedy that's very much like husband plays video games, sits on the couch, wife is exasperated and has no time to shower, uh, house is a mess. Yeah, you know, it's like, I don't know how to explain it. Anyway, there's a lot of like uh, highly gendered pranks that happen that bother me. But specifically, this isn't a prank necessarily, but there's this... Um, there okay it started with dogs actually so there's this type of video where you say all of your dog's favorite words like do you want to go on a walk do you want to play do you want to go see your friends you know whatever with tugboat in his case if you've been here a while o-g-b-o-t-g-g-c only could go place on the ground kick crumbs um and then you like watch the dog's face as they get like so excited and like freak out and it's just it's really cute i mean obviously you have to then follow through with these things or at least i hope people do i did um and it kind of spun off into this trend where people say their wife's favorite things and watch her react, but it's never anything that's like, it's just, it's always the most basic of interests. And on the, I can't decide which is worse. On the one hand, if your husband says, you know, talks to you like a dog and says, do you want to go to Target? Do you want to go to Starbucks? And you're like, having an orgasmic response i'm i'm kind of like do you not get out much uh <laughs> like are you, are you good but, but this is what i mean i'm too i feel two ways about it if you're faking that sort of like like you know crazy response to things that i would argue are normal joys you're hopefully entitled to yourself and even if you have a young child i would hope your husband won't or whoever you're able to find can watch the kid and you can still make time for those things and whatever but that's that aside um if you're faking it, it's weird because you're a- acting and I don't really get the point of the sketch. But if you're not faking that level of excitement, it's a little dark because then I feel like 
you know, I, I, I this is what I was too afraid to say on Instagram that I'm still scared to say now because I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. It is um, a brand of, of content that typically is centered on like mom humor. And I think there is such a such an important space for relatable, self-deprecating, funny mom humor that t- shows other mothers they aren't alone and that they're, it, it is normal for your life to be chaotic. It is normal to not have it all together. I am all I am so here for people being relatable and authentic and even if it's not pretty, making sure that they're representing their situations the best they can to uh, you know be a positive influence on their audience. Even even for the sake of comedy, um, and this is why where I'm torn in talking about this because I am not the intended audience, and I hate when people nitpick at content. But this isn't the only example. It just is in a sample of a broader category of mom content. That while two other moms, it might be kind of like a funhouse mirror exaggeration of life that they can really relate to and appreciate. To somebody that is a childless millennial like myself, those that type of humor scares the crap out of me, because if if you're losing your mind genuinely over your husband, I'd argue doing doing something sweet, but kind of also the bare minimum. Like I don't know, it, it, I I'm here for the simple pleasures of life, but to watch somebody have a meltdown. And be after the husband again talking like a dog, being like, "Do you want to go to Starbucks and Target? Maybe Home Goods? We can get pedicures. We can go to brunch." And then the girl's like, "Mimosas," and he's like, "Yeah, we'll go to First Watch. We'll get syrup on pancakes." And it, it's like, it's this. I feel so weird watching it, and it's nothing against this couple. But it's also, I do have a lot against, you know, doing your wild bottomless mimosa brunch at a first watch. I've spent a decent amount of time in Ohio and, you know, I love a Bob Evans. I'm not, I'm not a stickler. I just don't know if a first watch would be like my chosen hot spot for mom's big day out, but neither here nor there. Um, I, I watched this like a million times and I just got so hung up on it and like about like what it meant. Do you know what I mean? And then when I was on doing the PowerPoint party with uh, the Patreon folks, we had such a good PowerPoint party Sunday, by the way. I loved it. It was soothing. It was uncontroversial. It was about a bunch of things they like. I loved all the presenters. I mean, I always love all the presenters, but um, sometimes like I, I always go for like variation of content. So we have variety. But this was just like wholly soothing. We talked about women's suffrage. We talked about bullet journaling. We talked about gift giving. We talked about uh, the child YouTube stars, like all things I'm very interested in. Anyway, um, but you can find that on patreon.com slash be there in five where you can view all the past PowerPoint parties where listeners do miniature deep dives on things they're passionate about. So I can kind of flip the script and you guys snorkel through something that you love and present to the greater be there in five community. Um, and also I just uploaded part two of a conversation I have with a listener who's an ex Mormon telling us about her decision to leave the church. Those are the types of things I put on Patreon as bonus episodes if, in case you were weren't sure. And it's cost two dollars and ninety five cents a month. You can you can choose to donate more if you just want to out of the goodness of your own heart to support me, uh, but not required. So, anyway, it's just a little background on that. Um, but at the power party, I was talking about like how 
I was so bothered by this content and somebody in the chat was like, yeah, it's, it's, um, that's how I feel when I see, uh, hide Amazon or like UPS, hide my packages from my husband doormats or like hide my Amazon packages from my husband, um, types of memes and stuff. And I was like, that is that nail on the head the type of energy I sense from this is like that I find triggering. Is it my past life? Is it my anxieties about motherhood? I don't know. But it's this it's this situation where women seem to have to ask permission to do things, to enjoy simple pleasures, to buy things for themselves. To, <laughs> they feel like if they want to get fun things, they have to sneak behind their husband's back. Um, it's like this submissive, uh, I, it's, a, it's like a, a power imbalance that makes me an uncomfortable and it's like a lack of equal partnership that makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I know it's not, I mean, I, I totally understand you have to be like transparent about finances and rightfully so some people shouldn't spend and people have spending problems, but I just, I guess I feel a little bit sad for that loss of independence and for feeling like you can't buy stuff or do things for yourself not because and that has nothing to do with money just in terms of I would argue even if you are not the one bringing in physical currency if you're a stay-at-home mom you're working your ass off if if like if you are working part-time if whatever the hell it is you're doing if you're not the primary breadwinner that has nothing to do with how much you're pulling your weight in the partnership and that's when I just so wholeheartedly believe like for in money being shared in that sense, even though I do have my own checking account and so does Greg, but we have like a joint savings anyways, no one cares. Um, but like, I know the things I need to feel normal. And as long as he trusts me, like I, I can't, if, if, if I'm working and making money, I physically cannot handle somebody going through my purchases and being like, why did you need this? Justify your decisions to me. It, it's just something that like wouldn't work for me in a relationship. And everyone's different. Some people like love to budget together and don't care if their stuff's combed through. Something about it for me, I just, it's, I, I it just, it's not for me. But I think, I don't know, it, th those are the things that like frustrate me it is kind of um, the lack of, uh, not acknowledgement, but like, I hate the cliches about women spending all of men's money, about going on a shopping spree, about buying too many clothes. I hate when on HGTV, it's like, all she cares about is the closet. I'm like, oh my God. I, like I, This stuff just like frustrates me to no end. And I wish I understood the origin of it, but it does. And um, when I watch these TikToks, it makes me like have asked myself these broader existential questions of like, why is so much humor about being a wife and mother grounded in either being like kind of a nag or old ball and chain about being somebody who spends all of his money, about being somebody who's, um, you know, too headstrong and bossy to the point where, you know, people buy you as a wedding gift, a small thrill pillow that says Mr. Right and Mrs. Always Right. My personal opinion is you set a spent like a limit, like at a certain price point, should, should you consult your partner? Absolutely. But I think that there's a way people nitpick about no nominal fees sometimes uh, as a way to c control the other person. That that's what I'm uncomfortable with. Um, why why it's so much mom humor surrounding uh, how much wine you have to drink to tolerate being a parent, which 
Honestly, I understand. I feel that way as a dog parent, but it's just like a high volume of content. And beyond that, to in alignment with what I was saying about the person who had a meltdown over getting a peach milkshake and going to a first watch, bless her heart. Again, nothing against the couple. I do not know anything about them. Uh, it's just the content itself or the, the trend itself. Um, why are you making yourself seem like a hostage in your own house? And I realized saying stuff like that or on on Instagram, I think it's upset a few people. I was like, I just feel like sometimes I with when I see content of moms who are just like exasperated, who like haven't slept or showered or like taking care of their basic physiological needs. I'm like, I, I and they get to like finally do something. It gives me this like prisoner vibe of like, are you OK? Like you really can't like I feel so badly that somebody would really be sacrificing so much of themselves and it's not about giving everything to your kids or spending all your time it's not nothing against chaos because that's just the reality of life it, it, it and it's it's one thing if that's what you want and that get, brings you joy some people want to be engulfed in their kids lives and that's and that's their that's what they've dreamed of that's what they want but what i mean is those the premise of a lot of this content is like I have to be doing this, but don't want to be. And I'd rather be doing other things, which while relatable and an important message for other parents that feel like they're in the depths of the chaos, uh, they want to also feel like they can relate to somebody who's like, God, remember when things, you know, remember when we had more freedom or whatever. Like, I get that. I wholeheartedly think there's a place for that. I guess the flip side of that is just what I was sharing this morning, which is like, I, if that's what you want, that's awesome. That is not what I want. It does not appear to be what this person wants. But this person is now at a point where they take such a luxury in showering. And I'm like, and it, it paints this picture of, of motherhood, of having children, of like a, a sentence. I'm like, okay, so when I, if and when I decide to do this, it's over. It's over. My time is not my own. I am going to be so flustered. I'm going to have to drink so much wine. It's going to be absolute insanity. My house will be a mess. I'm going to jump up and down in ecstasy if my husband offers to take me to a mid-price, you know, breakfast chain. Um, it's a funny thing where it's, uh, you know, exaggerated comedy for somebody who's in that situation but it becomes a depiction of a daunting reality that contributes to Im the immense anxiety many young women experience when trying to make the decision about if they want to have children and when. And I'm not making this argument as if this content shouldn't exist in case anybody else feels this way. And I don't need anybody to, to change what they're doing. I don't know if I have a conclusive thought Um but what I found on Instagram is that a lot of you share this sort of these these sorts of nerves and this level of discomfort with a lot of these social media depictions of motherhood. And especially in this past year, it's been this interesting combination of women being pushed to their absolute limits at home, at work, with virtual learning, many people having to leave their careers to be able to watch their children at home. Um, but just in general, I think this year has been incredibly hard on, on parents, um, and particularly as the data shows on women who often are statistically 
more likely to uh, incur the bulk of the caretaking. Even if these things aren't expressly said, you know, I think people know now not to say like a woman belongs in the kitchen, like for the love of God, I hope. But a lot of um, the pressure and expectations for women to fulfill uh, traditional gender roles are definitely still there and they loom and they exist within us because of what we see um, among, you know, in our lives, in our culture, in the media, etc. I grew up very much just like, well, you know, I'll get married at, you know, by 25 and like if nobody will marry me by 28 i gotta find one of those buddies that people find on tv where you make a pact that if we found nobody else like when we're you know obviously there's cobwebs growing in my uterus at the age of 28 i guess i'll marry my best friend just who i tolerate because god forbid i'd be older than 28 and unmarried like isn't that didn't we all have like our backup husband growing up and it's like why did we think it's so insane to me your perception of what old is when you're younger. Anyways, it's just something random I thought about. But um, the last thing I'll say before we get into other uh, some of the advice you guys sent in, um, I feel like there's a tendency, and I certainly don't want to come across this way either. Uh, like if you're a stay-at-home mom, like I said earlier with like the hide your packages thing. You're doing more than pulling your weight. You're carrying your family on your back. And never let anybody make you feel like that it is not the most important job you could in the in the entire world. It it's do, it doesn't mean if you send your kids to daycare or of childcare, you're not doing the most important job in the world. But my point is, why do you think childcare is so expensive? Because it's freaking hard. It's not easy. And I think it's easy for people that um, can afford childcare or have a lot of help that are still working to kind of, I don't know, I just hear stories of friends like that who stay at home and people in the PTA will like ask them to do things almost with the assumption that they have a lot of time on their hands or something. And that's so rude. And I, just as I will defend a mother's decision to work and to outsource as much of her life as she needs to, if that's what works for her, I will defend a woman's decision to stay home and both are equally as important. And the last thing we need to be doing is judging within ourselves as a gender, these decisions we make and making people feel inferior as a result. Because it's not an easy decision for anybody and life isn't easy. Like just period the end, raising children isn't easy. I wish we'd find more solidarity in that instead of only requiring people to parent the way that we deem to be appropriate. I just, uh, people have sent me screenshots from mom groups and told me some stories and I'm just like, God, this is, this, it's like, it's already hard enough. Why are we making it worse? It terrifies me. I am not cut out for it. I am not cut out for PTA drama. Oh God. I, I would, I don't know if I would run out of the room crying or verbally assault somebody. I, I just feel like I'm about to snap. Uh, I, I'm going, I would go be going into motherhood with like, you know, what's it called? What are, what are boxing gloves called? Gloves up, mitts up, fists up, ready for battle. Anyways, whatever, guys. If anybody who is making you feel bad about your decisions that you made as a grown-ass woman about what is best for your life, middle fingers up, throw them hands high. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to anyone else. Do what's best for you. And if your situation isn't working for you, I hope that you feel empowered to do what you can to make it work, to shift perspectives, to not fall into those gender tropes and assume that's normal and what's expected of you. What should be expected of you is to be the best mother you can be, sure. 
the best mother you can be is contingent upon your personal well-being, mental health, the physical health, and preferences of the way you want to live your life. And that is fine. It's not selfish. But also, maybe this is, maybe I'm just talking to avoid because it doesn't mean anything because I'm not in your situation. You don't think I understand. And I honestly don't. And that's why I've caveated so much of this with who the hell knows. I am just talking. Um, but anyway, you guys, I was like in tears talking through my anxieties Monday when I was, or Tuesday when I was expressing this and all of you made me feel so much better and i still have to go through dms and if i if yours is marked as unread and i haven't seen it yet or i just hearted it like please know that it means so much to me and i'm still working on going through all these in my computer because like it just is not lost on me that you took the time to reach out to a stranger and i don't want to hoard this amazing information i want to share it in case any of you guys are struggling um and i'll keep this anonymous i know you guys didn't send these in thinking that um i would read them on the podcast, but let me just go through some of my DMs and read some of these. I wish I had time to like curate. <laughs> oh, I appreciated that somebody pointed me to, I actually haven't read Untamed, which seems like it would be up my alley, but I just get a little weary of self-help. Um, but I love the quotes I read from her and I know people love her. Um, one of the quotes somebody sent me was, mothers have martyred themselves in their children's names since the beginning of time. We have lived as if she who disappears the most, loves the most. What a terrible burden for our children to bear. To know that they are the reason their mother stopped living. What if a responsible mother is not one who shows her children how to slowly die, but how to stay wildly alive until the day she dies? What if the call of motherhood is not to be a martyr, but to be a model? Well, that was nice. This person said, I just had my first kid eight weeks ago and got a lot of questions about postpartum depression. Honestly, I don't know if it's a real thing, but I had prepartum depression and it mourned and I really mourned the loss of the life I was leaving behind. Those feelings are so valid. I am fortunate after having my baby. I'm incredibly happy with life and doing well, but I know a lot of people don't always feel that way and don't talk about it. Thanks for sharing this honest take. This person said, if you are aware enough that you need certain things to protect your mental health, when you, then you will be a great mom if you so choose. It's scary and overwhelming for sure, but what isn't these days, right? Ultimately, being self-aware enough to know what you need puts you ahead in the game because uh, in my close friends, in my experience, most new moms spend easily a year trying to do it all before realizing they are burnt out beyond belief and things have to change. I love that. Begin with the end insight. I think all these videos about the mom's day out are made up and not real. There's nothing wrong with being a mo the mom who sometimes puts yourself first before your kid. It's called boundaries. I was really worried about feeling off postpartum and went to therapy and basically was told that you have to let go of this notion that you exist to rear a child. It's part of you. It's not your entire being. I think women have this tendency to just sacrifice and sacrifice and don't realize they're choosing to do that. I work full-time as a single mother. I got home the other night and had to head over to, oh, I work full-time and I'm a single mother. I got home the other night and had to head over to my sister's house to help her with something. I brought my toddler with me who was ecstatic. We were there until eight, way past his dinner and bath time. We were driving home and I was starving and I almost went straight home so I could get him dinner and bath um, and he had snacks so it's not like he was starving, but I chose to hit up a Panera drive-through so I could eat which delayed our evening even more, but I was fed and happy and my son didn't even notice. We all survived and I didn't feel bad because we were happy and fed. I told her, I was like, you know what? You Thank you for that sound sage advice. And also I respect the hell out of a Panera bread and like, I get it, I get it. But you see what I mean, you guys? For me to get on Instagram and to be so nervous to say, I don't think I'd fare very well in these circumstances. And I'm really scared and videos like this make me scared. And to think that I was going to get eviscerated. And while plenty of people told me they would un were going to unfollow me. Honestly, that's great. 
uh, attract and repel, right? I, I don't want people that aren't willing to hear out another woman's feelings just because it's not in alignment with hers. Um, but for me to get responses like this, for people to take the time with their thumbs and to type these, I mean, I, like, I am so, so lucky and so, so grateful. Um, this person said, as a mom of one, it bothers me too. It makes it seem like you can't have anything for yourself anymore. And I think that's unhealthy for women across the board. Yes, you have more responsibilities and may not be able to do anything you want at the drop of a hat, but I think it's healthy for kids to see their mom and dad make time to cultivate hobbies and friendships outside of the family too. One of my friends recently told me how happy she was that we were still close friends after me becoming a mom. And while I understood what she meant, it struck me as a little sad because I think it is common for people to assume moms don't keep up friendships. I'm very guilty of this. I feel like friendships are hard when people have kids. Um, and I don't. And I'm a monster. And when people get pregnant, I'm happy for them. But I'm also like another one bites the dust. And I'm not proud to admit that. But I think a lot of you can probably be, probably relate. Uh, I, I feel horrible saying that. I hope you know what I mean in terms of like, I'm excited for you, but I, I mourn the loss of our friendship. I do. I know what's going to change. Um, and she also said, when my coworkers assume I can't go to a happy hour because I have a child, it ties into the whole dad is babysitting statement if the mom goes out for one night. Uh, but now I'm rambling. Oh, my God. Dad is babysitting. Absolutely not. Dad is a dad. He's a parent. He's not babysitting. Oh, God. That makes me so mad. But you're right. Me projecting onto you that you probably can't go to happy hour or maintain a friendship with me is me reinforcing those things that I'm trying to get us away from. And thank you for telling me that. <laughs> this person said, again, these are all just opinions. I, I think it's interesting hearing different perspectives. This person said some people love the prisoner vibe, period. When dating, when married, if you're an independent person, you'll be an independent mom. You just have to have goldfish crumbs in your hair, too. Being a mom isn't hard, but it doesn't change your core being. This person said, honestly, what impressed me the most with this video, <laughs> this is such an astute observation and it's so true, is this woman's ability to not look directly at the phone the entire time. That's how I know it's rehearsed. If a phone is in your face, instinctually, you look directly at it. You are so right. You are so right. This person said, yes, thank you for saying this. I'm also a childless millennial and I'm constantly being pitied for not having children. But as you were saying, the mommy culture narrative is so bleak. Like, am I supposed to want this? Something is wrong with me for not wanting this? This person said, no need to respond in IDK if this is helpful, but I became accidentally pregnant and had these same fears. Personally, I found that I'm not so much sacrificing as I am reprioritizing and reallocating. I may not, may not sleep in as much, but I still do my skincare routine and go out with friends and thrive in a meaningful career. It's harder to have it all, all the time, but I can have it all at different moments, if that makes sense. I love that. This person said, well, this is nice. I think you're going to be a great mom. You're very aware of your mental health and what you need. When you decide to be a mother, if you don't know your needs, it can feel isolating and like, and like you don't know yourself. When you do decide to have kids, you're going to be just fi fine. That's really nice. See, I'm crying. You guys are really nice. <sighs> I lost my place. Um, this person said, also, partners play a huge role in this. Yes, we have less freedom now because we can't go anywhere and do anything, but my partner is actually a team player. A few of my friends have had some slacker-ass husbands who could totally pull the want-to-go-get-a-milkshake card and act like they're kings. I'd be excited if my husband did that, but he's got to pull his weight 50% of the time, if not more since I work for more hours. That shit would not fly for me. This person said, I had the same concerns before I was a mom. Honestly, it's all about how you want to approach motherhood. I feel like I still have a very balanced life because I made it that way. It's an adjustment, and the first 12 weeks with a baby is crazy. But you get in a groove and figure it out. The same way some people are workaholics and never do talk about anything other than work or this is how some moms are about being a mom. This person said, I literally told my partner the other day that I so desperately wanted kids. 
but what if I can't handle it due to my anxiety and depression? Some days I can barely care for myself. There's so much content out there and wine o'clock and complaining about kids that totally freaks me out. Maybe if I keep going, I just think it's really interesting to read these DMs. Let's see. Your feelings are valid. Thinking through all of this before having a child is valid and more important, it's necessary. You cannot be a good parent if you can't take care of and value yourself. Don't let anyone make you feel bad. My daughter was a huge surprise. I didn't ever want kids. I spent weeks sobbing and thinking my life was over. Even when she was an infant, I struggled. I found a better balance now, but it's hard. This person said, I think you are so right about a lot of things, but two things. One, when you know yourself and what you need for your sanity and self-care, you prioritize and protect yourself a little bit better through the thick of it. For example, if a milkshake a day keeps the mental health in check, prioritize it. But also, for me, a milkshake is a fun treat. I'm excited, but it's not the only thing holding my mental health together. Two, the one thing that's really key to all of these motherhood treats in these videos is the lack of planning and having all of your favorite things ready and waiting. You know, self-care can be a huge task. In planning and arranging your favorite things and planning the logistics of childcare, etc., sometimes I just choose not to deal. So the ultimate treat isn't the target of the Starbucks or the milkshake, but just being able to go. Totally understand. Um, I agree about the portrayal. Portrayal. I think it's because we try to make self-care accessible to all. So things are said to moms like self-care can be as simple as brushing your teeth. Um, no, those are basic human needs. Social media is very obsessed with mom martyrdom. I'm 40 weeks pregnant with my first, so I can't say I know a lot, but I do know my child will go in their car seat and I can go get a peach milkshake whenever I damn well please. <laughs> As a mom, I appreciate this. It's the hardest adjustment. I struggle with PPD and PPA after having my first. It was really rough. But I found an amazing therapist and psychiatrist who helped so much. And I met the strongest, most incredible woman through being a mom. I think knowing all this about yourself will make you a great mom if you decide that's what you want. Love that you explore all parts of influencing content. That's nice. I feel emotional just because I'm really good. Like, you guys are just, like, nice and level-headed. And, like, the, the thing is, the, the things we perceive as reality, it's content. It's fodder for, for entertainment. But the things you guys are saying are, like, it's real level-headed advice from real people. And I'm so grateful. Is it hard? F yeah. And thank God for family close by. But I cannot stand the dirty mom, the topless nursing mom, no time for myself memes. Make time for yourself. Put the baby in their crib. Take a shower. Put the kid in the car. Drive through to get your milkshake. And the dad's babysitting. Three barf emojis. No, I'm sorry. He's parenting. He made the thing too. It's all very angry because I think it's a very small portion of women who can relate to the memes, but they're all over the place. Right. It doesn't mean it's the majority, but it's like the entertainment content you see. Um... I'm a mom of one, and it was definitely an adjustment. I miss the things we used to do, like spend our Saturday drinking at the breweries, happy hours, staying out late. And I miss the ease of just deciding to do something and then doing it. But I think your whole thought process changes once you have kids. Your wants and ideas of activities and fun change. Your needs change. I need to hear that, too, that my interests will change, you know, because I, I see my interests as being so fixed when the reality is they do drastically change throughout life. And I get so much joy from my nephews and niece, even if I try to shake the hands of toddlers, <laughs> talk to them about the weather. <laughs> Um, motherhood is hard in so many ways and I think it's important to always be open with your partner about what you need make sure you're, that you're getting some alone time to recharge and that's great my husband plays golf and I get a few free hours each weekend to do what I want we both need the time away we also truly believe in counseling it's so helpful to know that once we have number two I'm definitely going to be utilizing that just know that it's okay to feel the way you do I think for a lot of couples that don't sorry these are all separate dms i think for a lot of couples that don't constantly talk about the dynamic it's easy for the mother to fall into the martyrdom and the father to fall into the things that are mostly the same 
only made possible because the mother is martyring herself. And, and I know some of these might be controversial, but I just want to read different perspectives. I know sometimes you don't intend to martyr yourself, but she's giving it in this example. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law have this relationship, and we constantly say to ourselves that it's not our marriage to judge, but that's how we're doing things. It only bugs me when it's assumed that we will follow the same dynamic when we visit. It's like the expectation that uh, we, sorry, it's the expectation that I will cook the food we bring and entertain the kids while my brother-in-law asks my husband to sit and watch football all day with him. And my husband and I are both like, huh? This is why, like, I, I'm, I'm horrible. I never think to, I'm just like, thanks for having me. And if I'm a guest, I assume I can just chillax. Maybe that's not the right, right way to see things. Um, recent new mom and I agree with you. I know sometimes the memes are a useful slash humorous outlet, which is great. But sometimes they can create this glorification of the sacrificing mom trope, like the mom wasn't showered in three days, which I think is damaging and not normalizing. It isn't normal nor okay. And it's not okay for moms to feel like they're just a mom cliche when they reach that level of sacrifice, self-sacrifice. That means they need help. And I say that from a place of privilege because I have an awesome partner who still at times needed a reminder that I am not the only one parenting our child. All of that sounds doom and gloom. Having a kid is honestly such a light if you want one. It can be a real drag to have one, though, if you don't. <laughs> um... I'm a mom and had these exact concerns for mental health when I was an outsider looking in. The TLDR version is one kid wasn't like this. One baby, you're still browsing farmer's markets and TJ Maxx and going to brunch. They're your little psychic and you're still living your life. Transitioning to two for me, granted, during this shit show of a year, was what threw me for the mental health loop. But it's only prisoner vibes for like a year. Think of it like a hard couple of semesters, college semesters, or that year you had a killer tough internship and then you come up for air and sort of reintroduce yourself to like walks alone in the park or whatever recharges you. It's 100% the most challenging thing I've ever done. But yes, it's a gift and a dream, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, truly. All I'm saying is people think becoming a mom is 18 years of newborn phase and it's not. If you've done finals or a big work project, you can hunker down with a good partner and blink and the baby phase is over. Also, you're in control of how much baby hostage you want to be, of a baby hostage you want to be nanny or grandma or daycare you trust you can be back at work and drinking peach milkshakes whenever <laughs> this makes a prisoner of ag reference uh anyways there's the, been an argument for balance and um the guy like that's such i don't know i just so appreciate that it's like yes 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 it's a gift it's a gift blah 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 but it is hard to, but also one's easier, but also it happens. With, like, I just appreciate this balance of advice, you guys. Like, it's really interesting to me. Um, new mom here and totally agree. Like, these women want to want to make other people fear being a mom. It, I mean, it's hard, but if you don't have a shit for brains husband <laughs> and your equals in parenting, it's not as life altering as one might say. It's dare I say enjoyable and fulfilling. You know, the reason we had the damn kid in the first place. <laughs> I was terrified I'd never shower or sleep again. Guess what? Two kids later and I haven't missed my nightly scalding shower. I found and I find this content discouraging and annoyingly exclusive to specific people's experiences. Um, motherhood is so different for everyone, so I can't be like, oh, just do X, Y, Z and everything will be breezy. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what the point, right, you guys? Everyone is different and I, you know, we just need to be okay with that. Uh, but there's a lot of adjusting expectations and finding ways to set yourself up for success in it. I think a lot of women, myself included, when I had my first, are blindsided by the big shift in time ownership. It is for sure taxing and takes effort to protect your mental health in motherhood, but it can be done. I hope that's encouraging and not preachy sounding. Not at all. Kate, wow, thank you so much for talking about this. I'm 29, I feel so behind, but 100% of what you just said. I theoretically want kids, but the way I see it portrayed makes me terrified for it and what it will do to my social life and career because of things like this. 
this person said, I have two kids and I feel we're similar. I definitely have been affected by the loss of what I'd call schedule spontaneity. Having kids means almost everything needs to be pre-planned and considered. You need to consider how long you'll be out, who will need to eat, when it's nap time, do I need a stroller or a carrier, is this place baby-friendly, etc. I'm absolutely not a prisoner, and I don't feel guilty about arranging for someone else to watch the kids when I want alone time. But it's an adjustment to lose the option to wake up and say, oh, let's get in the car and go antiquing today. <laughs> Honestly, like, that's big Beth energy, and I love that. Uh, by Beth, I mean Beth Aaron 5, which, jokingly, in the Facebook group, people sometimes use to call listeners of this podcast because people think my handle, be there in 5, means my name is Beth Aaron 5. And I'm I'm into whenever I hear sentences that are big Beth energy, I love it because <laughs> it's not like, oh, let's go in the car and go, you know, travel to a mysterious land or go rage. It's like let's go antiquing. <laughs> uh, oh, and then she says, to be fair, I've never once said let's go antiquing, but it's more the idea that I can't be spontaneous. That feels suffocating sometimes. It's even bigger Beth energy to lament the inability to do something you never even wanted to do. <laughs> I love that. Oh my God, this hits the nail on the head for me. I saw that video and my first thought was, wow, I never want kids if it means I get amped to go to first watch. <laughs> Which is not serve mimosas, by the way. But you explained my gut reaction so perfectly. Yes, I really strongly dislike when people have opinions on how anyone should feel about really anything, not just this topic. As a mom, I never judge anyone or fear about having for fear about having kids. I just flat out... Uh, not wanting to have kids and knowing it, et cetera, too. They are your feelings and no one has the right to tell you you shouldn't have them because of their own experiences. I could go on forever. Also, my feelings on my own journey aren't conclusive enough, even though I made a very clear decision to have children. To be clear, I love them dearly and I would not change it. And I'm not saying that because I feel like I need to. And the fact that I have to even say that is proof of what kind of society we're living in, even though I know you personally aren't judgmental. Okay, wow, that, that thought spiraled. <laughs> Big Beth energy. Uh, we need to give people the space to just get it out there and feel like you're not alone. I agree. No, I love it. Guys, if you apologize to rambling to me, I mean, pot kettle. Don't worry. I totally felt this way, too. I was nine months pregnant and asking my husband, what if I hate our life once we have a baby? I think it's so hard when you truly love your life with your significant other and are adult enough to have learned what makes you feel like you. And with a seven-week-old, I'm clearly an expert, cry face. <laughs> but it's totally possible to find time to feel like yourself without getting to a point where you're amped for a peach milkshake, especially if you go into it with expectations of what's important to you and you've talked about it with your husband. But I also totally get that not everyone wants kids, and it's a totally amazing decision, even if I am ultimately thrilled with mine. In my experience, the friends who have had who seem to actually enjoy their children most are the ones who don't glorify motherhood. It's just never going to live up to those expectations, you know? I'd do anything for my kids, but I also am so grateful for a life that allows me to remember who I am outside of them because the time when they are living under my roof is just one stage of life. All that to say thanks for being thoughtful and sharing your process. Even as a mom, it's good to hear and remember. Oh my gosh, I felt the same way. And then we traveled to Europe and realized that not every parent has to parent that way. I currently have a favorite boy and we are like little best friends. However, the first few years can feel like a lot, but it's podcasts like yours and conversations with friends and permission to do whatever the fuck you want to do that will really help you get through. My biggest suggestion is not to be in a mom group. I think she means Facebook or like online group, like of those forums that just attack each other. Absolutely agree on women being almost shamed who don't have children that speak on children or being a mom. It's as if society is saying, if you're not reproducing, you aren't 100% a contributor or have the right, uh, right to be speaking on it. Definitely experience this as a stepmom. And seeing the difference now that I've birthed someone, I notice even more how one-sided people can be. Close-minded. And truly, like, it's all good. It always works out. If you decide to become a mom, I know you'd be an amazing one. And if you decide not to, you're still an amazing person. No one is more important than the other, and I can only speak for myself. 
but we have Chick-fil-A and Starbucks regularly, not because it's a special treat, but my life is not solely my children and my husband is a mega involved dad and it's not celebrated. Haha, ha, it's expected. Um, I love that. That's from a person I know and I really appreciate that. Um, this analogy is spot on. Carving space to be the type of person or mother you want to be is crucial. Don't let your own journey be derailed by the fear or assumption that yours has to look like someone else's for better or for worse. Uh, you're right. There's very little space for this type of discussion, and it's so important. I always grew up wanting to be a mom, but then in my 20s, I wanted to travel, grow my career. I had a failed relationship, and the time just went by without me wanting to. I married my husband when I was 30, and I had the hardest time deciding whether or not to have a kid. I wrestled with every possible aspect of doing it versus not. The big stuff, like will it be a lifelong regret if I don't, and the smaller vanity-based aspect of maintaining weight as a female is hard, and I like my body, and I've spent 31 years in it alone. Do I want to share it? And obviously having a child meant not as much disposable income or time, not as much traveling, etc., at least for several years. I was massively tormented. And the best thing my husband did for me one day when I was just like in despair about this decision was to stop me and say, hey, do you realize you were choosing between two good things, right? We've talked about both of these life paths and each one of them can bring us happiness. That's right. I like that. That's so, yeah. The world is so crazy with expectations that I really let myself get super worked up and forget that both past child or no child can be good and valuable and fulfilling. And which one you pick, or I guess is picked for you, right? We don't, you don't, can't always choose your path with this. Um, doesn't mean anything about your character. If it's tough to pick, that also isn't a judgment on character. There are a lot of considerations and I think it's romanticized a lot, but in reality, as you're probably seeing, it's not an automatic yes for a lot of women, even ones like me who assume their whole life that they'd of course be a mom. It can be really tough. You are in my brain. I loved that. Um, God, this is so helpful. I hope you guys feel better. Honestly, this makes me feel a lot better. I've, I can't even tell you how, like, I felt crazy feeling like, too, maybe it's because I was too scared to bring it up, and that's why I never had, like, any relief. I don't know. Um, to be the, to be, oh, this is from somebody I know, too, and I'm, I very much appreciate it. Uh, I'll be honest that I, ne I was never the babysitting kid loving type of gal. I thought I'd be a pretty mediocre mom, but there's something to be said for our instinct. Sure, I'd wake up at 4am and hover over my son's bassinet to ensure he was breathing. And yes, maybe I still do this to him as a toddler. But I feel that's what I perhaps that what I perhaps lost from my master's degree or general brain cells I gained in my heart. Maybe neither were compromised. Who really knows? As an INFP 4W5 word, I'm prone to melancholy and idealism as well. I actually don't know if I'm a 4-wing 3 or 4-wing 5 and I've gotten two different results. Um, but whatever you and your husband decide to do about children, your expectations will be wrong. You'll be faced with something more than ideal. It will be real. That's beautiful, which in the end is even better. I think here's a few comments about husbands and partners. I really think it has a lot to do with your husband slash partner. There are some men who refuse to be left alone at home with their children or take them shopping. Those men are the reason women feel like a shell of a person. They have no support. I saw my sister-in-law go through this. And my mom is struggling as we grow up and my and my mom is struggling as we grow up becoming her own person again and it's scary. I love that you're calling this out because I think the more we do, the more we encourage mothers not to feel selfish to keep being whole people and that will make the world a better place in general. These moments you're seeing are 100% true, but these moments are being parodied and are truly only about 2% of the parenting journey. The 2% sucks so much and is not easily forgotten, so that's why they're relatable. The other 98% is awesome. I appreciate that. 
uh, yeah, these videos bother me. When women say their husband is babysitting, like I get being excited about doing something you love, but partnering is a partnership. It should not fall on mom. So if your husband doesn't regularly watch the kids, so you can get some time to go to Target alone or go out with your girlfriends. Well, then he needs to do better. It's this narrative that moms do do everything and the husband is being so amazing and wonderful and surprising her with something that he should just be doing no matter what that bothers me. Parenting should be teamwork and both parents should get time to recharge and do their own thing. And I'm a mom, by the way, so speaking from experience. If I w ever tell my husband, hey, want to go do this, he says, great, have fun, baby, and I will stay home and does not act like he deserves a dang gold medal. The joke is I, like, want to give him a gold medal for doing that. <laughs> At least for most Christ like a water skiing award. <laughs> uh, you don't need to feel bad at all. These are totally normal feelings. It's such a huge change. Literally every aspect of your life changes, and that's scary. I'm still getting used to it. I'm still sad. I can't do whatever I want whenever I want because I have a child that depends on me. And coming from somebody who's always been like, oh, I'm GA. I want to be a mom so bad. It's a lot harder than I imagined. It's a big adjustment. So you're not selfish, and it doesn't mean you haven't felt love before. Those feelings are so normal, and I felt them, and I still feel them when I see weird-ass shit on social media about being a parent. It's not real life. As a new mom of a seven-month-old, this content freaked me the fuck out prior to having kids and post-baby. I still don't get it. I think it's a case of trying to do everything yourself and having a partner or no one who feels comfortable to contribute so you feel like getting a milkshake and going to Target is self-care. I don't find the martyrdom of motherhood is something to strive for, but sometimes when I engage with parents, it's a race for who has sacrificed more for their child. Or who, who has sacrificed more for their child wins. I remember when my son was born and still being able to shower, do my hair if I wanted to, read, etc. I was like, am I doing something wrong? Maybe we feel it won't be taken seriously or we won't be taken seriously as a mother unless we give up everything. And that's what we're supposed to strive for. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's just some weird trendy shit on the internet that will never make sense to me. Are some days hard and you can't even get coffee and you want to go to the grocery store or do your hair? Yes, but it doesn't. Not everyone. Uh, yes, but doesn't everyone have those kids those days with or without kids yeah you're right also there's such a difference between one kid two kids three kids plus i follow a girl on tiktok with 11 kids she's 30 she's 11 children you wouldn't believe their names maybe i'll read them later oh wait no i need to wrap up <laughs> this person said i was you before i had my kids um where did i, I lost my place I'm an Enneagram 4-2 and I'm sometime, I'm someone who needs my alone time and I feel absolutely all the feelings all the time. It's tough being us. I just think that no one is ever prepared, but it's good to know your personality and needs going into motherhood so that you can have an open dialogue with your healthcare provider and husband or support system. Uh, I lost my place. Oh, you'll never feel ready, but I also think this sort of anticipatory phase is a special kind of hell. You're imagining the worst while some people paint the best. In reality, it's somewhere in between. And for what it's worth, as an internet stranger who only knows you through your podcast, I think you would be will be a fantastic mom. Um, for many reasons, but most importantly, the fact that they'll be your kids and you are the best mom for them. Thank you. And that's what came, kind of similar to what I was saying. Did I, I might have cut this part out. Uh, but go listen to my podcast with Caitlin James, the Under the Influencer from last November. She suffered tremendous loss and it was it talks very uh, candidly about not being a kid's person. Um, and it was just like a really impactful conversation for me. Uh, and she's still like, I'm not, you know, is, isn't domestic at all. But she's like, that's not what my kids need for me. They need me, not this fake domestic version of me. She doesn't care if I can make her pasta, uh, which I just really appreciated as a woman I respect a ton. Um, let's see. I'm also a cold, selfish person willing to have my life unchanged, but it can be done, especially only with one kid. Don't beat yourself up. 
Um, everything you're saying makes sense. It's understandable and valid. I'm a mom who also struggles with her mental health. And there have definitely been times where it requires some serious intentionality and even therapy. But as someone who seriously dreaded being a mom, I just want to say that I do love it. Not every day, but I don't think there's anything except coffee I love every day. Not that this will make you feel better, but solidarity in your fears and concerns, they're valid. Hopefully sharing some hope that it can absolutely be more amazing than you ever thought. I appreciate that. I love the solidarity among HSPs, too. This person said, oh, girl, I feel this. I'm similar to you in the HSP department, which means highly sensitive person. 20% of the population. Look it up. It's a thing. <laughs> I recharge when I'm alone with my thoughts. Motherhood has been so hard for me for that and many other reasons. I realized I was struggling around month four and got help for my postpartum depression and anxiety. The medication helped immensely. And then just this year, my boys were almost two. I finally started going to therapy to work through some of the trapped feelings I have as a mother made worse by the pandemic. I love my kids more than anything, and they can be suffocating. But that feeling of suffocation doesn't define my experience as a mother, just like the perfect days don't define it either. Not sure if that's helpful or not. If you decide to have kids, be aware of the PPD, PPA warning signs, and be sure your partner knows them too. Sending love. That's such good advice. Thank you. And thank you for, even though I didn't ask you if I could share it. I hope you don't mind me anonymously sharing this because like you guys, this is so, such important advice, I think. Um, I get what you're saying and just my perspective. I'm a full-time working mom and my best friends are full-time working moms of multiple children and we still meet up at Target, grab dinner at new restaurants. Hell, we even go on girls trips. It's all about having a partner who's a true partner and dropping uh, her ball, which is a fantastic read for anyone, not just a married couple or one with kids. I guess it's a book dropping her ball. There's no loss of life as I know it because the things that bring me joy shifted slightly and my kids and I also do other things. Uh, TLDR, every person is different. And my experience has been those people you're referencing are in the same category as the ones who'd appear to have it all on Insta, Insta, both unrealistic. I also like to tell people I didn't actually like my child until he was about eight weeks. I didn't think that maternal instinct would ever come. Anyway, I like to share because my friends were crying every second of pregnancy from happiness. And I was like, meh, everyone's different. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> Fully understand both sides of this. As someone in the thick of motherhood, two-year-old, do any day with baby number two. I can't speak to this girl's mental state. But to me, being able to spend a whole day with my husband where the world is my oyster, regardless of the kid aspect, would be the source of a happy dance. Totally. I'm a full believer in self-care. My husband indulges my need for a good blowout and Botox day often. It's the idea of the whole day with no strings of we can do this first but then we need to go do XYZ for the house for the kids. That would make me dance like I'm a kid again. I totally, totally understand that. I, I was reading in way too deep to that video, but it spurred such good conversation. I, I'll run with it. But you're right. There's so two sides and it's just content, right? I This, I joke with my friends all the time about how they don't make it sound like something I want to do. My BF is equally brainwashed and convinced having kids mean your sanity and life are gone. I know I know you're not trying to minimize the struggles here, but you're a thousand percent spot on and thank you from another childless millennial. I love that you dive in about the mental health aspect. I can't believe how overlooked it is. Good for you for being self-aware. As someone with anxiety and depression that hits hard with change, I can't imagine how I would handle motherhood. It's something I want, but not if it sends me into a lifelong spiral. I wish there was a way to know ahead of time. Me too. Um, I had all the 100% agree. I had all the same feelings as you have. Now I have a one-year-old and TBH. It's still a struggle. Losing your identity in motherhood, as wonderful as motherhood is, is real. And it's something I have to be so conscious of to make sure I am doing things that make me feel like myself. The book, How to Not Hate Your Husband After Kids. <laughs> great title. Uh, talks a lot about this and was so impactful for me. All that said, I love being a mom so much than I ever thought I would. But there are definitely struggles and that's okay too. 
Oof, this makes me mad. My ex-brother-in-law pretty much made my sister a prisoner. Once she had a bad stomach virus and was lying on the kitchen floor with the baby, she called him to pick up the three-year-old. He came home and said she had until the next morning to get well because he had an important job. Punch him in the face! Sorry. But not sorry. That's horrible and disgusting and unconscionable. And I I messaged her to ensure they're, they're not, no longer together. And thank God they're not. But... Sometimes it's important to hear the bad examples, too, because, like, I, there's just a, such a spectrum of how partners can behave. And you don't even need a partner, by the way. But if you do have one, it is nice to hold them accountable. Um, new mom here with no local family support. It's deaf life changing, but also like not, especially if you have supportive, a supportive partner. Not downplaying it, but just but like you just bring your kid and have to account for a bigger purse and longer lead time. I think it's the same as people complaining about pregnancy and labor. It's a badge of honor if it sucked and you survived. So people oversell the suckiness. It's an interesting perspective. Though I'm sure some people really does suck. It's from Ashley Spivey, who we love. I wish everyone had to be a nanny before having kids. I honestly think less people would have kids. They are no joke. It's fucking hard. Dads also don't do shit, and moms make it 100% harder on other moms. This shit makes me ragey. I could talk about it for hours about how being a nanny is less about taking care of the kids and more about making sure their mom's okay. Love that. This person said, I'm with you 100%. That was my life with my thankfully now ex-husband. He made such a show about allowing me to go get coffee with a friend while the kids napped. As soon as they were awake, it was like, what's your ETA texts? Not saying it's remotely the case with everyone, but my red flags went way up when I saw these videos too. I'm glad that's your now ex. Um, but I also think that there are relationships that can be like, like, I think that People who are in love and have decent marriages, I, I do think those gender roles are slippery slopes and that can happen and the person doesn't maybe even realize it. So don't feel, I'm not saying like if you're struggling with, you know, an imbalance of power or responsibilities, you need to get divorced, but I just mean don't feel alone. Like I, I think it's common to suffer from that and people that do are probably less likely to write in, but I hope you feel solidarity that it is hard when there isn't that, you know, dual accountability happening and you're not crazy um this person said please do an episode about this it feels like society and many times our own friends and family can look at us like we're two-headed monsters and we express reservations about having kids or are certain we don't ever want them for various reasons any path is legitimate as long as it's the path that's best for us as individuals we shouldn't have to mute our feelings and needs just to fulfill a societal expectation that may not be the life best choice for us anyway I will end on that note. Absolutely. That's why I did this in the first place. That's what I hope we all glean from this. I hope this was a good use of your time. I really don't know. I'm actually not really going to listen back to this, and I'm just going to put it out because I'm really scared. I'm going to overthink every one of my words. But the thought I concluded with on Instagram that I'll tell you again is the only thing I can compare this to is that when I got engaged, the way people fawned over me and wanted to talk about my colors and wanted to ask about the wedding and I hated trying on wedding dresses. I, I I hated the attention of being a bride. I didn't like the concept of a blushing bride. I felt very unbridal. I kept waiting to be like, this is the biggest, the, the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. But like, I don't love to plan things. I'm bad at planning events. I find it really tedious. My parents carried the entire thing on their back. Like, I could not have done it without them because I felt really overwhelmed. Um, but at the same time, that whole time, I was doing things the way I wanted them. I went out of the country. I made the guest list self-selecting. I figured if you really liked me, you'd find a way. I knew that I was going to offend people. I knew not everybody could afford it. I knew it was really shitty because people with kids couldn't make it work. But for once, instead of considering everybody else around me, I considered the people that were my friends and family and the people I that were non-negotiables and got their clearance, made it work financially, and did the thing that I dreamed of and not the popular thing. 
And I had the best goddamn time. I, I will never, I will forever be coming down from that high. It was amazing. I loved every minute of it. I didn't feel like a bride when I was supposed to fit, fit into the mold of what a bride was supposed to be at all these allegedly bridal events. But at my own wedding, when I was a bride, I was a bride and I was bridal. And it was better because I wasn't somebody else's version of a bride. I was the version of a bride I wanted to be. And I wore a sequined head to toe dress. I wore my hair down. I did my own makeup. I drank. I danced. I went barefoot. I took off my Spanx before my first dance to Casey and JoJo's all my life that like a church choir, my friends and family sang around me. It was so special. I didn't have bridesmaids because I did. I, I love my friends. My, my, the friends that came were close enough to probably be my bridesmaids and I wanted them to wear what they wanted and feel cute. And I didn't need people fawning over me while I got ready. I got ready alone because that's what I like to do. I, I, I didn't pay a lot of money for flowers. I, I said the centerpieces were too expensive. So we got gold candelabras and we, you know, made flower garland on the tables that so the flowers could kind of just like rest instead of have to be arranged. And I thought the loose deconstructed nature was actually quite pretty. And it was literally like 80% cheaper than getting centerpieces. I said, screw it to everybody who says they hate speeches. And literally 80% of dinner was speeches. I'll, I want to be eulogized while I'm alive. So sue me. It's my event. But people loved it, I think. And we had a great time. And I wrote a poem that had 73 lines. Well, actually double that because they were couplets. One for every single person that went to my wedding. Because I, if, if the people that know me know that I write poems and do things with words for people. And if I couldn't give a speech telling every single person why it meant a lot to me they were there, I wasn't going to do it. I don't, why am I getting so emotional? Um... When we do things our way, we find our way, but we can't let ourselves not do those things for fear of how it looks. It, a lot of the things, decisions I made uh, through that process were unpopular because they weren't super bridal, but it didn't end up mattering. And that's the only thing I can really use to compare to it other than marriage, which all anybody wants to tell you is, you know, the old ball and chain, marriage is such a drag, i gonna get the misses. People love to say, ugh, marriage, you know, Ben Affleck, jerk store in his Oscar speech, is like, marriage is the hardest job I've ever had. Wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. And it's just kind of like, do you got to say that? People love to make you fear marriage when you're engaged or in a relationship. But then once I was married, after over five years of dating and living together, and years of people telling me why buy the cow... Despite me knowing what was best for myself and my relationship, we got married and we're very happily married and I love being married. I genuinely love it. 10 out of 10 would recommend. The reality of trying to get along with somebody for life that you live under a roof with is complicated, as it is with anybody. But you figure it out if you're genuinely compatible. I think I'm going to do a Patreon episode where I maybe talk through more about my relationship and like dating like how we met and dated and when we got engaged and our timeline because I can't emphasize enough how many opinions people had about my relationship from like just my husband being shy and quiet to uh the amount of time we dated before to living together before to the volume of time we were engaged to how we chose to have our wedding to still not having kids we've stretched our shit out as long as we've wanted and we've had a great time doing it and we're very happy because of it but if we had made those tiny decisions along the way to appease the people around us, we would have been miserable. And I want you to always, always, always do what's best for you and advocate for yourself in any context. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make note of that.
some stuff it's like hard because it's like I want to be vulnerable and personal in here but when it involves like other people you know sometimes I like to keep a tighter circle so I'll I'll make you note to do that on Patreon that's fun stuff to talk about though um anyway you guys uh in conclusion (laughs) I will say um when I listen back to my first episode, which I hate doing because my early content is so embarrassing, there's one thing that has remained a through line of this podcast that I always want to maintain and a big reason why I decided to do this episode despite feeling like it was very risky territory. What I didn't like then and what I still don't like now is the people that are in positions to speak and that have platforms are so often experts and people at the top of their field that tend to use what I like to call rose-colored retrospect to illustrate their paths in an oversimplified manner that foregoes the details and the complexity and the difficulty of the middle in a way that makes you think like you should be able to follow these more simple paths to success or to a certain outcome and can ironically make you feel inadequate even though they're trying to inspire you. But I think there need to be more people on mics and on social media and putting out content that are in the freaking middle, that are in the thick of it, that have no clue where they're going. I have no clue what I'm doing. This like I am patching together my career in real time as you hear it. I didn't even know this podcast could be a full time job. I don't know if, what will happen with my life and my family and if I have kids or not. And you'll probably hear about it. And I'm so grateful if you want to be along for the ride. I never come here as an expert, and I don't want to be a Rachel Hollis-like person that's like, I'm a non-expert expert. I'm an expert at not being an expert. Like, no. I just, I, I, I realize the magnitude of the access I have to people, the engagement I have in your ears, and these one-on-one conversations that we're having. And, like, they, I don't take it lightly. And I, I know I'm not always able to give you helpful, tangible, tactical advice as an expert, But I hope at least for a couple hours you feel less alone or at least get to forget about your problems by being dragged through mine or somebody says something in, in, you know, from something crowdsourced that resonates with you that helps you move forward a little bit more fearlessly. Anymore, I've realized that Be There in Five is so much less to do with being upfront about my shortcomings, uh, about cheekily attributing my business to one of my biggest flaws. Ironically, as I tried to find my purpose through this podcast, I think I realized the purpose and the point of Be There in Five is not the focus on the the disconnect between where I am and the destination, the fact that I'm late. The entire point of Be There in Five is that I'm almost there. I'm close. And you are too, to wherever you want to be. It does not matter that we're running a little late. It doesn't matter if you feel behind. It doesn't matter what the person will say when you get there. The entire point is to remember that you are on your way. And the entire point is that I'm on my way too. Where? I don't know. What will, what will happen? I don't know. But I like to think I'm close. Five minutes away, metaphorically, right? And I think that's, to me, the more important takeaway I want you to have is that there's validity in the journey, however chaotic it is, and some of ourselves may make it more chaotic than others, but that's okay. We'll get there eventually. And I'm so appreciative of you listening to this. If you want to rate and review five stars, it makes all the difference. That's the only way people chart really is subscribers and uh, reviews. Patreon.com slash be there in five for over 100 bonus episodes. Please support Candid and Ritual and Liquid IV and Skillshare. When the episodes hit this type of length, it's but it makes more sense to support them with more ads so I can justify the time. Uh, and I appreciate your understanding. 
Uh, and guys, I love you. Thank you for everything. I'm going to leave you with a very important song to my 90s loving heart that I think uh, speaks to what I, what I, how I want to feel right now, how I want you to feel. And I certainly feel better from everything you submitted. And I'm so grateful. And I hope you know it just takes some time. Little girl, you're in the middle of the ride. Everything will be just fine. Everything, everything will be all right. No, that is not Gandhi. That is Jimmy Eat World. <laughs> all right, you guys. Love you so much. As always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. <laughs>